McGoey on his own. He gets the try. The Red 78. We're both monster people. Nobody knows monster rugby better. Carberry gets over the line. Try from Munster. Available every Wednesday. Don't miss a moment of action. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, let's get down to business. <clears throat> it's half past seven. It's Wednesday morning. Last night there was a game at uh, Lansdowne Road. Colm's here. Colm, good morning to you. How are you? Sure. Shane is here. Shane, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, lads. How are things? What was your experience, Shane? Great win, lads. Um, yeah, 3-2 win over Armenia. We, we stayed up in, in our League of Nations group. Scott Hogan nearly made it four as well with the, one of the last kicks of the game. Nothing controversial about the game. It's, you know, I suppose it's a results business. Um, no, to, to be honest, it's, it's a result uh, business. We keep getting told, yeah. So we just move on. Is that what you're telling me? It feels like uh, it feels like the cameras this morning are snipers, and um, every person who is anti Kenny is behind those snipers this morning, um, waiting for any positivity around Stephen Kenny, which I understand because um, I'm I'm utterly and positively confused after last night. Well, isn't the case that everybody who had made their mind up before the game? Are more entrenched in the in the whoa? What's this going on here? There you go. It's um, the, the old YouTube ads. <laughs> uh, it, as I as I yeah. Uh, it was, log on to YouTube check the comments yeah of course yeah because it's going to go one of two ways uh, no you're right people are entrenched and they're going to be more entrenched probably after last night it's a Rorschach test what do you see you see the thing you always saw right That's. Yeah. Uh, do you see the chances that created the domination of possession the um, relatively intelligent play the fact that we were in control of the game for 70 minutes or do you see the calamitous uh, the habit forming concession of goals like and uh, you know uh, if you step back and zoom out like all of these things are true we we were bad in patches last night we were good in patches last night um, probably not exceptional uh, which is a word Stephen no, used in the post-match no, no I don't think I don't think Stephen Kenny's doing himself any favours with his, his um, uh, performances in the press conferences but ultimately they don't matter like you know we've like Trapattoni would sit in press conferences and tell everybody we were crap Martin O'Neill would say we don't have the players and I don't have the time working with the players to achieve anything here and that's why we're playing the style we're playing and Mick McCarthy would bite your hand off for everything like, does it not matter I, we, we, it's, the, it's our only insight into the, man, the management and what goes on behind the scenes I haven't said that you listen to Darrow Shea talking and he's saying Stephen and Keith Andrews came into the dressing room and, and weren't happy and like that, he's probably going to downplay how unhappy they were when they came into the dressing room. Who, sorry? Uh, Darrow Shea chatting to Nathan after the match, he kind of made the point that, uh, yeah, Stephen and, and Keith Andrews, when they came into the dressing room, they weren't happy. Yeah. Which So that's more important. Yeah. Like, I think that's more important. Well, it is, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's, it's okay to be confused. I'm probably in the camp where I'm... Um, I, I want Stephen Kenny to achieve I want him to do well with this team and I want to, to continue to enjoy going to Irish games which I am at the minute um, but I also see that that uh, period of, of 90 seconds was not was not good enough and, and it's all too regular that we, we give up leads um, uh, like, Just like Germany I've no shame in it being yeah. tunnel up against inferior opposition and we saw the game out Yeah, true like Germany Yeah did we see it out? Is that how you would say? Is that how you would oh, describe that? Oh, we stumbled. Um, I never, I never thought I'd understand what it feels like to uh, to be George Best in my life. I've never any really good at football, but you know, famously, George Best was at the Champions League final when it was one 0 to Bayern Munich and left. <laughs> yeah, you know of this, course, right? Ninety nine. Mm-hmm. So I brought my three kids to the game last night and um, sugared them up in the first half. And at halftime, my middle one started, my youngest started slouching the seat and kind of slide off it. So I was like, "Look, tell you what we'll do: we we'll stay for five minutes and then we'll go. We'll beat the rush." <laughs> so 
Obafemi flicks the ball around the corner turns and wallops it straight straight into our faces basically we're right behind the goal yeah yeah, yeah. and then we go out and everybody's watching the penalty shootout <laughs> so I'm like okay shut up Just stop stop giving out yeah, we're going to yeah. watch the penalty shootout and um, we're like oh, okay grand so we watch the penalty shootout which is a disaster it's not a disaster but it's terrible for those for that team and uh, so close and uh, whatever and I'm, we're walking down the stairs anyway and I'm like oh this is great we're, we are probably going to miss some goals but that's okay it'll be 3-0 more than likely <laughs> and then by the time we get to the train station the train comes it's 2-all yeah and I'm like so I didn't see the I didn't see that I'm at a loss this morning I unfortunately <laughs> uh, to, to beat the crowd and because my kids were like like the opposite of Forrest Gump yeah, yeah. I um, wasn't there. You weren't there. Um, now I did listen to Nathan <clears throat> and Stewie in the last five minutes of commentary, which was just madness and it was great. Yeah. So if you haven't if you haven't heard their uh, take on the penalty, it's definitely worth them. There was a period of time. So when, when we we left our seats in the East Stand for half time, we went out watch the second half of extra time with all the other Irish fans. It was a good atmosphere. Everyone was enjoying the second half of extra time. Albeit Israel were the better team in the twenty ones game, um, and then it went to penalties and. Everyone walk, kind of walked towards their seats again. Saw the Obafemi goal. You're thinking two nil in the senior game. The penalty shootout's about. It's to start about to be the best ten minutes of football that we've experienced as a nation in a long time. I said it to my brother. I said we're going to have a great time tomorrow morning talking and, about the, the, these two games. And then it was the worst ten minutes of football that we've had since Vim Keeft. Yeah, <laughs> sick reference. Yeah, that's good. It was shell shock after the second Armenian goal in particular. It was like what, what? Because the first goal you can kind of you're, you're like right. You know, Bazunu reasonable save off the post, came out, yeah, they were probably half asleep at the edge of the box, but it's 2-1, Ireland go on and score another goal or two, will win 3 or 4-1, there won't be an issue. And then the Hauran pass is just, you're, what What are you doing? Like, you're an experienced professional, like, it's a, it's a, they say don't pass the ball across your own goal, but he literally passed it across his own goal to an Armenian footballer. Not um, great. Not good at all. No. Um, I think, um, like, so one of the things that Kenny could do is come out and he, he said there was a mistake but it's just a mistake instead of like I can't believe that clown did that thing mm. you know he's like he needs he's going to need Harahan at some point over the course of his campaign midfielders pick up bookings like I thought Malumbi was was very very good in the yeah. first half yeah um, you know being fortunate not to get the, the second yellow yeah and that's why they take him off I understand that as well mm-hmm. like they had to take him off it was silly the pullback it was a definite second yellow yeah or else he's got away with it now you mean just keep yeah. him on because his energy and drive I think you were you were asking about Hendrick and um, mm. like I, there was a bit in the first half I think it was about 27-28 minutes in where it looked like we had decided to press Yeah, but he wasn't part of the press and so the ball kind of got passed around and you're like that's not great because like either either they're not as as coordinated as we think they are or he doesn't do that anymore and maybe he just doesn't do that anymore and we shouldn't expect him to do uh, that the one thing I'd say about Hendrick is he seems to be uh, particularly singled out for a poor performance I'll give him one bit of defence was that he was trying mm. a lot of forward passes the problem was they were incredibly inaccurate was the whole and conversation not about him that actually we need somebody who isn't just passing forward so instead of being well he wasn't aligned to the rest of the team what he was doing he's but, supposed but to be what he, was, he was trying to be incredibly positive it's as if He's either listened to the criticism or someone directly told him, Stephen Kenny or otherwise, play forward. But it wasn't, it wasn't aligned to Malumbi's more considered play. And I thought he stood out a mile. And also, I thought Darty had quite a good first half. But when I was watching, I was thinking, we're learning absolutely nothing from this game like, at all. Because Armenia, for the first 70 minutes, was one of the worst displays I've ever... They were, they are, they're like, I know they're 92nd in the world, and they're supposedly the middle of this group. But 
they were way worse than that mm-hmm. than they, they're on paper they had absolutely no ambition whatsoever yeah. they won a corner I think in the 41st minute and it was a lucky corner soft one and I was like wow this is the first time we're going to see them and we probably won't see them again and I feel that not just the players in the pitch but the whole country lost concentration midway through the second half yeah. after Michael Obafemi's goal which coincided exactly as you say with the penalty shootout in the 21s yeah. and watching it on TV you lads read it but watching it on TV you could almost hear people talk amongst themselves. And then I was thinking, if this finishes 2-0, we're probably still having a similar enough conversation to today. I don't and now it's are. become a bit more catastrophic because of what yeah. happened. I, I, I think that um, loads of people had decided that they don't think he's the man for the job. And there's enough evidence in those five minutes to give them comfort to continue saying that. And like, here's the thing. He's definitely going to get the... Um, I, I, He's definitely going to get the the start of the Euros yeah. campaign, right? Yeah. So if we get hammered in the first two games, then maybe the FAI make a decision that they want to go with somebody else for the rest of it. But, you know, more than likely, he'll get to see the campaign out. And that's the bit where, you know, when, when are the lessons learned? Damien Delaney is asking, well, they have to be learned immediately because the next qualifying campaign is a short, sharp shock. And at the end of that, we'll know where our standing is and whether or not we're going to be in a playoff for the Euros. Well, this is where Stephen doesn't do himself any favours either in that his post-match interview he said, oh, I don't, I don't see the players now for, until, you know, November. For, for, until November. Until uh, November. So yeah. I can't really give out to them about this match and, and kind of address things. I understand what he's saying. He doesn't have the team to, to kind of put this right. We don't have a game in three or four days' time to, to address, you know, the issues from last night. But he can't be coming out saying, oh, I don't have the, I don't have the players. Like, well, I, I guess... Right. Do you do your best work when you're being shouted at by somebody? Or do you do your best work when you, somebody says, did you do well there? Do you, yeah. how, how do you value? What, what, Connor? what do you think about your performance tonight? How, how would you rate it? Are you happy with it? And Harahan, look. Do you feel good about it? Yeah. Like What's he, he going to say? He knows himself. What, what, but if what you wrong, shout at Conor Harahan and he goes back to Derby and is a bit like, oh God, life's terrible. What's the... Do you know, I don't like the others. The maybe other, they did shout at him. Maybe... Probably did. Maybe yeah. Keith is bad cop or Keith is good cop. Who knows? Yeah. But like, I just... Asking us to, or asking like uh, the management team to be performatively angry, that's like. I, I just, I think we're, we're, we're having the, Ke- the Kenny conversation far too commonly. And, and, and look, I, I think we should be having it this morning. Of course, we're having the conversation this morning after last night's performance. But when do we, when do we not have that? Like, it, it, it's, it's, so it wasn't Stephen Kenny's fault that Conor Harrahan. Put the puts the ball across the across the area. Obviously, there are issues with the Irish team in terms of taking a lead, taking and especially taking a two 0 lead against a team like Armenia. You, you have to be seeing those games out. I would have been happy with the two 0 at that stage. Let me let me get oh. to some of the comments that are flying through. Uh, good to see the Ireland team back in green, says uh, Dave Bates, who is either talking about the Gillette Labs performance rankings of a Monday or the fact that we're actually wearing green jerseys again. It could be either. Uh, Shano Sano two ten. What's Terry Venables up to? Uh, I turned the game off at 70 minutes and went to bed happy with how the game was going. I woke up 3-2 and saved by a penna. What happened? Asked Michael. I'm asking myself the same question, Michael. Uh, and uh, it might be a while before I bring the kids back to a game. Owen McDermott says, at the end of the day, the match-going fans are behind him. The players are behind him too. The moment either changes, we can have a debate. What the media or ex-players think is irrelevant. You have what you think is something different. Yeah, well, listen, the, a lot of ex-players aren't in the, the Stephen Kenny camp. I, I did notice, and I don't know if anyone else at the game noticed this, that uh, when the second, when the Armenian Equaliser goes in. I noticed Stephen Kenny's face pop up on the big screen and noticed um, a fairly loud chorus of boos. Yeah, that was surprising to hear. No, I don't know if the chorus of boos was uh, centred around Kenny popping up on screen or the fact that we just conceded an equaliser uh, and we're facing potential relegation from our League of Nations group. 
if we concede it again. Uh, I don't know, but but there was there was certain there was an air there was attention in the air after the equaliser for sure. One comment there uh, by Brian: they scored two random goals from nothing. Uh, that's so true from a TV perspective. So I paused their first goal and watched it back a couple of times. Yeah. I just wanted to see where the goal came from, where the mistake was. Then I fast-forwarded 2-2, I saw it when I did it afterwards. I'm like, what? Nathan Murphy, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, lads. Uh, you were in the maelstrom last night trying to process in real time. Oh, God, it was uh, hard to process in real time what exactly had happened. I came home and tried to watch back some of it to go through to two goals and see where the breakdown came uh, because like, it came from absolutely nowhere. Armenia showed no ambition at all. Uh, like they were a team in crisis, understandably considering their run of form, and it looked as though they'd be happy with 2 0. And then they showed that they wanted to go on the attack and that they had the quality to open Ireland up. Uh, how they were so easy to get through. It felt as though Ireland had maybe just lost the run of themselves. Uh, Stephen Kenny said last night that you know he felt the overlapping centre backs at 2 0. Do you need to be doing that? It felt right at the time. Are we are we going to stop Nathan Collins uh, flying and forward of the pitch, bombing forward? Maybe the cover just wasn't there. Uh, and then the second goal, like Connor Howard makes a, a shocker, a shocking mistake. I think Gavin Bazunu could have done better on both goals. But it, I'm, I'm not surprised by what Shane's saying as to what the reaction was after the second goal. You're two 0 up against Armenia, and it goes back to two all. Like, nobody is going to be satisfied with that. Mm-hmm. Nobody is going to say, "Ah, oh, well, give him more time." Like you're in the middle of a match, emotions are high. Understandably, people are going to be incredibly frustrated. And yeah, this debate. I think you're right. Everybody's views are going to be uh, a little bit more entrenched as to what they feel about Stephen Kenny. And a comfortable win last night, and he can probably relax a little bit over the Christmas. But now. A lot of pressure is not just on that draw, but also the way the fixtures roll out for next year and the qualifiers. Because in March, he's going to need results. like And understandably so, and rightly so. Like An Irish manager should be qualifying. Are we strong in March? Are we, always, are we traditionally always strong in March? Is that, is well, that, is that a thing? Will, will players be playing football? Will <clears throat> Matt Doherty have gone out and loan? Uh, you know, will we have a backup for... For Josh Cullen, whose reputation was probably enhanced somewhat again last night, that there is no natural replacement, uh, while Connor Coventry is sitting on the bench at West Ham and not getting any football. So for 70 minutes, it was fine. It was grand. Uh, like the, the midfield is definitely an issue. We don't have that player still who can unlock a defence, and we don't have a striker who's going to score a lot of goals. So that is going to be something that constantly hampers the progress of this side. But I thought they played quite a bit of nice football they were totally comfortable in possession totally dominated the game but yet again big moments in matches are undermining any of the progress that Stephen Kenny is making and like you look at the last four games Scotland twice Ukraine and Armenia and seven points is not a bad return they've played pretty well in almost all of those games but it should have been a hell of a lot better and that may well be Stephen Kenny's legacy that what might have been, what could have been, and he's helped the team progress, but they're they're not getting the big results when they need them. Yeah. I know they got the victory I, last night, but like again, this should have been an easy conversation post game at two or three nil. And instead we're looking at and, and I think questions should be asked as to what happened, as to the substitutions that were made. Like have they lost the run of themselves because they have a manager who hasn't instilled the necessary discipline in them when they're two nil up to be patient? It was confusion leaving the stadium because a lot of Irish fans, myself included, were like, what? I, I didn't know how I felt. We all, I think a lot of people had to go for a pint after the match to process what had just happened. And it was a case of, well, 
I mean, what? you're in your twenties. You don't need to just. Sorry, yeah, it's, it's just, fine. It's okay. Up, I, I went it, was, it was an excuse. It was an excuse. But like, it was one of those things. You, you're kind of left like, well, that was better than a nil nil or a drab one nil four or five years ago. I, I actually weirdly enjoy that experience. That's what I, that's what I was saying to you. You should listen to. That's what I was saying to you. The Stuart Byrne, it, the roller coaster, and how how it feels alive. <laughs> the last two games, two one and three two. Yeah. I mean, like, if you it's if you're looking at it from an entertainment perspective, like, well, we, we sorry, like, you're going to get hammered for saying that we're looking at this for an entertainment. But the yeah. one thing, yeah. the caveat to all this, right? And myself and Shane were having the conversation about the press conferences and and how it it is important. And I'm saying actually, it's not that important. It it, it is important in the context of the Nations League. And he was asked about it on Virgin last night as well. About you know, you did say this was a winnable group. And we have finished where the seeding said we would finish as opposed to outperforming the seeding. That's, that's, if he hadn't said any of that, he'd now be able to point to, well, it's the best we've ever done in a nation's league. You know, we would have got relegated from this before except they changed the rules. But we, he can't do that now. Like, that's the one bit where managing the message is actually important in that you, you set expectations and you either over deliver or you under deliver. And we have under delivered versus the we're going to win the group. Which you know was kind of a an unnecessary thing to say at the start, but the hyperbole is killing him in lots of ways because it provokes a reaction. So last night he would be well within his rights to come in in that press conference afterwards and say, "Geez, we nearly blew it." Like you know, just puff out the cheeks and say, "Can't understand what happened. Made some inexplicable errors out there. You know, we can't do something like that again." Almost undid all our good work, but instead it was it was over the top in the praise of the quality of the performance and is that is that the inexperience is that the intense pressure he was on from the start where he's had a feeling that every opportunity he has in front of the public he has to react and go over the top because he knows the criticism is going to be so intense and insane on the other side that so we have this constant battle whereas He's clearly protecting his players. He clearly feels, you know, I'm not going to be publicly critical of this group of players. Whereas last night, like, it's a free hit. Like, Conor Howard, I couldn't have any issues if his manager comes out and says, I know, like, but he's going he's to he's need... one of my most experienced players. He's going to need Conor Howard at some point. Well, what's Conor Howard? Like, Conor Howard's like, not... He, is he going to throw his toys out the pram when they well, get back to the team hotel? What were you doing having a pop at me for? No, but his confidence might dip to a point where he's useless to you. But he could have phrased it. That can't happen. He could have phrased it. Well, Conor knows himself that that wasn't... Uh, that was a bad error. Do you know what? He could, he could have left it. Like, Conor doesn't need me to tell him that that was a, that was a terrible mistake. But, like, Kenny, like, you can see the cogs in, in Stephen's mind when he's up on the big screen with, with a few minutes left and it's 2-2-2-2 two, 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 two before the penalty is awarded and you're thinking... Well, there was reporting that that was the end of his job. <clears throat> if Armini got a winner there, that was the end of his job, according to some of the, the reports. No, I don't, I don't know. I didn't see them verified anywhere. I didn't see any, any, um, anybody on the record with that or anybody even off the record with that, so... No, no, and things will change quickly as well. I think that there's no suggestion that uh, anyone involved in the board feels it's time to change manager or has a desire to change manager. But if you're two 0 up against Armenia with 20 minutes to go and you were to end up losing three two, not a good, uh, not a good look. Martin O'Neill, Giovanni Trapattoni. <clears throat> but you're right; like, the entertainment is important. Like people are enjoying these yeah. matches, mm. and entertainment won't be enough though when it comes to the qualifiers. But maybe, maybe they can get both by then. Like they did win the game last night. We were hammered on Monday because. Well, it's all about results, lads. Uh, last night, they actually did manage to win the game. Now it's all about performance. Like, they need to somehow combine the two at the same time. And listen, these games have never been easy. I, in preparation for commentary yesterday, was looking back on 
a decade ago, Ireland, Armenia, the only other time Armenia have come to town. It was a playoff of sorts as well. It wasn't a relegation playoff. Ireland needed to win this game to earn a playoff for Euro 2012 at home. Usual star-studded Ireland team of the time with Shea Given and Gold and Richard Dunn at centre-half. Unfortunately, an injured Robbie Keane, but plenty of quality players in there, including Damien Duff. Uh, what happens? The Armenian keeper gets sent off after about 10 minutes. They scored the most ridiculous own goal you have ever seen. Richard Dunn puts Ireland 2-0 up on the hour. We've got one of the most successful, one of the most experienced managers of all time and a great Irish side with loads of talent. Surely they have the experience. Surely that manager knows how to see this game through. What happens? Two minutes later, Armenia score. And next thing they're attacking and they're attacking and they're attacking yeah. down to 10 men with nothing to play for away from home against this really strong Irish side. Like, these things do happen in international games. Like, nothing... <laughs> it was the exact same scenario where you thought this game had to be done, uh, but it wasn't. But... Like Trapattoni himself would admit he was a, a lucky general. Stephen Kenny, uh, because of these moments going against him again and again and again, he, he needs to put a stop to that. Yeah. And maybe maybe this is it. Maybe you know. And I, I, so, in that context, I can see he's got into changing room going. Well, we were we were pretty awful there, but we got lucky at the end. So maybe maybe our luck has turned. And instead of like lacing into the players, because they all know. Like they, you don't need to shout at somebody to tell them they've done bad. Like that just doesn't work as a. Yeah, it doesn't. Look, Nathan, you mentioned two previous managers there and a previous era. You've been covering Ireland for a long time. Where does Stephen Kenny's football rate in terms of entertainment value, in terms of progressive football for you, just for you as a journalist? And I as think a man? the consistency of the last four games is something we haven't seen yeah. in a very long time. Of the quality of football is a dangerous term because we have to remember the players that we're dealing with here right now. It's not top quality Premier League standard. It's not Nations League A standard of football. But in terms of trying to do the right thing, the pace of the games, like that's the biggest difference right now is the pace of the games. That generally when Ireland are playing well as they did in the first 50 minutes and for a good chunk of the second half, like there's an intensity. They're trying to get it forward quickly. You say Jeff Hendricks trying to do the right thing. So I think there has been a noticeable change in the way Ireland play football and approach these games. There is a question mark about the quality at times, like Hendrick didn't do enough last night. Jason Knight didn't do enough in an attacking sense last night. Parrot wasn't really in the game at all. Like the quality of some of the goals, even the individual goals that they've scored, has been exceptional. So I, I don't think anyone can watch the last four matches and say that Ireland aren't playing a better brand of football. But now is the time heading into this, in, heading into your 2024, where they have to back it up with results. Yeah, I think Stephen Kenny understands that. Let's let's hear. I'm sure from, he he must understand that. Yeah, well, it's been rammed down his throat every time he opens the papers. So let's uh, hear from some of the players: is Obafemi, Brady, and O'Shea talking about Nathan in the uh, post match? Have a look. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I feel like we we was completely stunned. Um, it was come out of nowhere. We was completely on them the whole game. Um, but I mean, obviously, I feel like it was just a lack of concentration. It started from me. Um, few sloppy touches, but just like I said, f- thankful to Robbie to f- for bringing down the three points. There's a lot of young players in this squad. Seven under 23 started again tonight. Can you can you expand on that lack of concentration? Is it is it ex- is it experience? Is it being two 0 up at home, cruising, sort of losing the run of yourselves even a little bit? I mean, yeah, like you said, we've got seven under 23. Like we're still we're still a young team. Um, not a lot of experience, but I mean, a couple of the boys have played a lot of games for sure. But um, I feel like sometimes these things happen. 
Um, but I feel like the boys, we, we bounced back. Um, like, like I said, thankful to Robbie and uh, that he could put away the, the penny. So, yeah. Uh, Obafemi's undroppable now. He's our number one. He's our leader. He's our hope. Let's, let's put everything on his shoulders so that uh, when he eventually lets us down, we can blame him. <laughs> uh, yeah, like there's uh, not many Irish players already who have the quality of goals that Michael Obafemi has. Uh, it was just a brilliant finish, and the confidence that he spun away, oh, knowing great. exactly what he was going to do. Well, so as I was saying, I maybe messed up. I was like, we were behind the goals for us, and you could see like all he has to do here is, is hit it. If he if he can just do the thing that you know that he can do, <laughs> it's going to be a goal. And lo and behold, he did the thing, which like you know. In an, in a lifetime of watching sports, uh, frequently you get <laughs> let down by people. Happen? Well, like Dara Shea's had a free header from a corner about five five six minutes later, and it was a really good opportunity. You know, maybe I'm asking too much for uh, that to hit the target again, but that was a free header. Like um, anyway, sorry to go back to Obafemi. If you're his club manager, you're putting him back in the team, and you're riding that wave until he gets his move wherever he gets the move to. And I think he's going to be a success. Like, whatever the issues were that were holding him back and have held him back at a couple of clubs now, you hope that he just begins to iron those out and play some football. Yeah, he needs to get whatever's going on with his agent and managers sorted. He, I asked him at the end about uh, just that this guy that we see for Ireland doesn't seem to be reflected in the media over in England, that, you know, he's basically seen as a troublemaker. Uh, you know, we have understandably denied uh, such a thing, but... He needs to play a lot of football and also needs to stay fit. Like again last night, was it a bit of cramp? Was it a bit of a niggle? You remember against Scotland, he came off, he was injured, he couldn't play against Ukraine. To be able to rely on him to make sure that he is fit for these double headers and he's able to play the full 90 minutes of both games is going to be important. And himself and Troy Parrott didn't link up particularly well, but he has a, a dynamism I think that even Parrott doesn't have and that we probably haven't seen in an Irish striker in in quite a while so you know Obafemi was one of the positives of last night like the, again I, I haven't heard too many people explain and I'm sure we'll hear a lot from the pundits over the next while you know Gary Breen probably did, did it best at the weekend of explaining actually tactically what's going on because it's, it's all the bigger picture stuff and we're as guilty as anyone of the bigger picture stuff but in terms of team selection like, was there anything he did wrong I hear a lot of oh Jeff Hendricks shouldn't have played Jeff Hendricks is a good player mm-hmm. Jeff Hendricks is a very experienced player he should be better than he was last night. He's also playing first-team football as well. But if it wasn't Jeff Hendrick, who are you putting in? Who is the guy that's been left out? Should it have been Alan Brown? Should it have been Connor Harran? Like, there were calls for a bit more experience in the side. Like, the two guys who have let Stephen Kenny down, shall we say, in the last few games, were two of his experienced players. It was Alan Brown inexplicably handling the ball, uh, something you would never expect him to do. And then Connor Harran, who's as solid as they come. You know, the criticism of Connor Harran at times is that he takes it too easy. He yeah. plays it too simple. Comes on, you know, he's... 31 years of age, and it's just a complete meltdown as to what happens there. So the younger players, by and large, are delivering, but they're not quite, some of them, at the absolute level that Ireland need to go and totally dominate games and cut open sides. Like Complacency was a, use, or was a word used a lot last night after the game, and like, do we just not know how to play against teams that we should be beating? Like, as in finishing them off? Like it's, it's all well and good playing against the Portugals, the Serbias and Scotland and getting up for those games, but... Why can't we I don't know, just they, they, stand on the neck of these no belief. We don't have belief for 90 minutes to play football that way. 
We could do it in, we could do it in chunks. We did it for about two thirds of the match last night, but they run out of steam creatively and mentally. Like, I don't think they can keep going with it. Because people can't believe we can use the we can use the argument all all we want. Oh, these are championship footballers or League One footballers, but regardless of whether they're championship footballers, they're still playing at a far higher level than than the majority of the Armenian players. Well, I saw an interesting point put forward yesterday that are these players at club level used to playing that style of football ever, where they're the ones as they were last night with all the possession. Well, Derby are. In, in like, dominant teams like Derby are dominating uh, their possession based team in, in League 2 or whatever in League 2 League now one, whatever. Jason Nice played one game in that Derby team in midfield he's played the rest of his games at right back mm-hmm. so he's not having to make those sort of passes all of the time and look, I, it's Armenia they sat right back they, like, they're as defensive a team as we've seen come to the Viva as you said they had showed no ambition like, you're 2-0 up without them having a sniff Pizunu yeah. had nothing to do they've got their couple of goals I think Ireland, if, if they hadn't had those moments of madness, they'd probably get a third, maybe a sneak a fourth, and then it's it's a run-of-the-mill, straightforward victory, and everybody leaves quite happy. All right, let's talk a bit about Robbie Brady, who came in for James McLean. Have a, have a watch of this. Well, Robbie, I don't think he'll ever maybe top the goal in Lille, but that one felt bloody important tonight. Yeah, it felt good. Um, it was a... It was an important goal for me, obviously. Uh, it's been a tough road over the last 18 months to two years on and off the pitch. So uh, there was a lot of emotion after that one day tonight. But like I said, a stroke of luck getting the penalty at the end after a few minutes of madness. We nearly shot ourselves in the foot, but um, delighted to get the win. Can you explain what happened? 2 0 up, cruising, and as you say, two minutes of madness. You know, you're a very experienced player. How, how does that happen? I think uh, when we dominated the ball for so long during the game, maybe we got a little bit greedy and chasing more goals and more goals. And we need to look at the bigger picture. We, we were 2 0 up, and we need to make sure that we were more secure behind the ball in transitions and we weren't and we got punished for that um, with two almost identical goals so um, we'll tweak that and make sure that it doesn't happen again but um, like I said we've got a show good luck and we won the game so. What are the last 20 minutes like then as, as that's just happened and you know the importance of well definitely not losing the game but trying to go and get that winner Yeah we knew we would dominate we're dominating they got a bit of a lift from a couple of goals but if we moved the ball the way we were um, throughout the game, uh, we're con- well, I was confident enough that a chance to come. It's just about whether whether it goes away, and we we managed to get a stroke of luck with the penalty and put it away. I don't think Stephen Kelly's ever lost faith in you. He name checked you a lot when you were out injured to get the start tonight and to have that moment at the end. Considering all you've been through, can you can you describe what it means to you, probably to your family, to your friends, to everybody, to be to be out there having a moment like that again? Yeah, it means the world to me to be back in and wearing an Ireland jersey again. Um, Obviously, when you're when you're out injured, you I'm not sure if you can get yourself back in a place. Then, but I, I managed to get myself back in a place now where I'm feeling good and strong, and I feel like I've got a lot to offer. But I've um, I've got to put in the hard work now and at a club level to make sure I stay involved and and see how we go now going forward. Yeah, uh, was it a 50-50 decision? If like dropping James McLean must not have been easy for Stephen Kenny because he actually was he's playing his best football for Ireland at the moment. So, what was behind that, and how well did he do? Uh, he loves Robbie Brady. Uh, he has always, always spoken about Robbie Brady in glowing terms. And maybe the fact that Ireland were going to have a bit more possession, there wouldn't be the opportunities on the counter-attack that James McLean could expose. And you know, McLean was, was really good on Saturday night and thinking those little ball behind the Scottish fullbacks. Uh, that Brady, uh, is it fair to say, is a bit more cultured uh, and a bit more control. And he probably had more touches than and anybody, it felt like. Maybe with the exception of Jason Malumby last night, he got involved in everything and uh, he had a good game like he obviously set up the first goal from the set piece uh, there were a couple of other decent deliveries into the area 
and you are reliant on your full backs for a lot of creativity. Ireland's best stuff generally came down the wings when Doherty had the beating of his full back. Brady didn't seem to quite have the beating of his full back as easily as Doherty did, and I thought he had a, a very good all-round game. And if he can keep himself fully fit, he'll probably get a lot of game time over over the next little while. Which players for you, Nathan, have come out of these two games with their reputations enhanced? I think Nathan Collins has shown again that he is very, very comfortable at this level. Darroche did little or nothing wrong over the two games, and it does look as though like that full transformation that started after the home defeat to Ukraine is is nearing completion. Like Shane Duffy, Seamus Coleman have been dropped out of this team and barely featured over the two matches. Uh, so I think the two of them uh, certainly enhanced the reputation. But Jason Malumbi was 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 really good for uh, for everything except. And, and, and maybe that's the entire everything. Every conversation is for everything except that bit. Like it was madness. And like Stephen Kenny should have gone through Jason Malumbi after the game because he's put a lot of trust in him in there. And there's a reason he's probably not starting in that position on a regular basis. Is that he just seems to lack that bit of composure. He should have been sent off. So Malumbi on the ball, it was actually far better than I expected him to be in that role for Josh Cullen. But he's just too ill-disciplined, um, and you can't have a player like that in that position. Obafemi, obviously, I think, is an automatic selection after his couple of performances. Matt Doherty, I thought, played, made one big mistake the first night, but generally played very well. Uh, Robbie Brady back in the fold. So are there players who did themselves massive damage? Potentially Troy Paris, but he stuck with Troy Paris all the way last night. Uh, and aside from that, I, like, mm. I, I, I don't see a huge amount of calls and for players who have been left out to come in. Like, what are the changes? Maybe Alan Brown can consider himself really unlucky, considering how well he played at right wing back. Uh, not to get a spot. Obviously, the few minutes he did play didn't go particularly well for him. But, you know, the Scott Hogan calls probably would have come through. I can guarantee you we would have had a Scott Hogan. He should have played the foreign player. Gets that one unbelievable opportunity to score first international goal and doesn't take it. So, team selection-wise, you know, it, I think it's I think it's okay. Do you need three centre-backs at home? Yeah. Look, Benya was the name that a lot of people were kind of mentioning last mm. night, in, certainly within the stadium. But, that, but is, that, is that a case of the way Armenia play? There's not much space in behind that that was a tactical thing, I wonder, Nathan? You'd have to assume so. Like, Ogbené is the foreign man and played really well when he came on in Glasgow on Friday night. Like, the only reason why you wouldn't bring him on uh, is that Armenia sitting back that you can't use his pace in any way and you didn't think he'd be able to make much of an impact. Um, listen, maybe there was a plan to do something before the two goals went in and they had to rethink it. Uh, and actually, maybe when the two goals went in, it would have suited them because the game became a bit more open. But in terms of you know, the team right now feels somewhat set in stone. You'd hope that Conor Coventry goes out alone in January and gets a run of games and can get himself in the squad that Will Smallbone gets in the squad and they can add two, three players from that 21s uh, to bulk it up but selection wise there doesn't seem to be a huge amount wrong with what they're trying to do Yeah, Will we hear from Darrow Shea? One more last player interview, have a listen to this A difficult one for a player to answer but there's a lot of question marks about Stephen, a lot of criticism about Stephen heading towards Euro 2024, what's your sense as a player as to where this group is going under Stephen Kenny? I think this group has gone the right way and I think if you if you look at our games and look at the way we've transitioned and played and the type of football we're playing it's exciting you look at the age of the squad um, the players we're playing and you know we've got players here who play for the next 10 years which is massive for a country do you know what I mean um, so the more experience we can get the more games we can get under our belt and, and playing our style of football is only going to progress and, and help us and obviously leading into a campaign um, 
we've kind of had a good a good bunch of games now to prepare ourselves and lots of lads are getting used to international football which is great um, but I think this, this this team has gone the right way um, in training the backroom staff even around the hotel everyone's been amazing and it's a real uh, it's a real positive moment um, you know it's, it's great everyone buzzes off coming in and playing for their country because of the atmosphere the gaffer sets and everyone around them um, so yeah it's a credit to him and obviously like I said the more games we play the better we'll get and we just need to learn from our mistakes and push on yeah look uh, we, we were well stocked with centre backs it will be interesting to see if we can play with two centre backs just to see what that looks like uh, you can't really experiment between now and the end of the Euros unless we're out at which point it won't be uh, Stephen Kenny experimenting more than likely uh, let's hear from the fans um, Ashley was out Ashley O'Reilly was out with the fans uh, have aftermath in the aftermath have a look uh, thought it was okay up until uh, they got a bit complacent didn't they yeah they got a bit complacent too many mistakes too quick follow I'd say they were a bit off the ball you could actually say <laughs> <laughs> for a while there and what about Stephen Kenny is he the man for the job should he stay on uh, K- Kenny in Kenny in all the way the biggest mistake Ireland ever made was getting rid of Mick McCarthy <laughs> yeah it was, good, it was a good match to be fair um, I thought Armenia were a bit unlucky to get two players sent off but um, yeah it's a great result for Ireland anyway so they were unlucky to get them sent off well, obviously, it's dissent, so it's deserved. But at the same time, you know, you've got to listen to the ref, haven't you? 70 minutes gone and everything just seemed to fall apart for Ireland. Absolutely fell apart. You can feel the crowd turn. Everyone was everyone was booing. It was horrible, to be honest with you. <laughs> I actually thought thought for one minute Armenia might come back and even do, do, a, do an England against Germany, but it didn't happen. And do you think that Stephen Kenny is the man for the job here? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I, I couldn't, couldn't pick anybody else for the job at the moment anyway. And were you impressed with Ireland up until, I suppose, that 78 minute? Yes and no. I mean, possession, a lot of possession, but possession doesn't count for anything unless you put the ball in the net. So they did okay first half, but they were a bit flat to begin in second half. So When Mick's dead, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that Stephen Kenny's the man? Yeah, yeah, Kenny all the way, all the way. Kenny in. Were you impressed with their play today? Uh, it was good until uh, midway through second half. They got a bit complacent. All right, there's a bit of a loop there. We were caught in the time-space continuum. <laughs> Um, so Mick McCarthy Mark 3 that's, that's the alternative the is it I keep, I keep um, uh, Damien Delaney was like well it's not just Big Sam there are other people out there who can do it on Virgin last night it's just I don't know what the list is of the alternatives I don't know who's well, on that list if it wasn't Stephen Kenny and you know, people go back to the debate about who should be the man to replace Martin O'Neill and it was it felt like the public sentiment that got to John Delaney that there was a sense that they wanted something different and he sort of came up with this hodgepodge of McCarthy and Kenny if it wasn't even Kenny Mick McCarthy would still be the manager right now like that is the obvious scenario we would be in and how many of these young players would have developed would be in a better situation I honestly do believe that and I know people say that Stephen Kenny is the worst record of Ireland manager that whoever was in charge right now would in all likelihood have that because there was a rebuild desperately needed and these sort of remember they did win the game last night but these sort of debates have been coming uh ever since Euro 2016 because there's been a massive decline in results. Think back to Mick McCarthy's last campaign in charge and the lack of quality in both games against Gibraltar. Remember the home game against Gibraltar? It was an own goal and Robbie Brady scored at the last kick of the game Stop. for a 2-0 win. And it was brutal. I don't it remember that game at all, I have to say. Stuff. I've like blanked that whole period from my memory. Like, impressed. Uh, the away yeah, yeah. game is was, was unfortunately a harbinger of that whole era and what it was going to be like. And look, you know... Uh, it, it, lad, it, it, the, the confusion with me is I, I came home last night after the match and you're obviously you're catching up on some of the, the post-match reaction and so I went from watching Damien Delaney talking about 
three wins in 20 competitive games this isn't good enough are we confident going into next March's games no and then I'm watching uh, Nathan's full chat with Darrow Shea where he's like there's players in this team that can play for 10 years which is massive for a country so you go from being completely negative to okay yeah Darrow Shea's actually made a good point there and he's in the dressing room he's, he's, he's full of positivity so I think it's okay to feel a little bit of both, isn't it? Like Daryl Shea, Nathan, you were probably you probably walked away from that interview with Daryl last night, and you probably felt a little bit better about the whole thing. Yeah, well, it, it did feel as though he was taking responsibility as to what had happened. He wasn't coming out saying that this was an outstanding performance. He he seemed, as Robbie Brady did, uh, seemed quite downbeat about it all. That even though they got the victory, they knew that they had screwed up. Mm. That this was an opportunity to kick on. Uh, to end the campaign on a real high, rack up a couple of goals, and that they had blown that opportunity, and it's it's on themselves. But I, I think you're right. Like, it, it's okay to have mixed emotions on this because results haven't been good enough yet. Performances have been getting better, but they need to get the two of them combined, and they need to stop having. Like, yeah, we came uh, away from Saturday night going, "That was good. That was really good. We lost the bloody game." Yeah. We came away from last night going, "That was really good for Longford." How were we in a scenario heading into injury time where we weren't leading? Yeah, okay. So, a couple of points here on that, on that very point from our commenters, Super Ken 354 and John John. All those pundits are all of a sudden worried about the performance and not the results. We weren't good in the second half, but they could have crumbled after that equaliser, but they got the winner, says Super Ken. John John goes, all of the Kenny Outers' main argument was that Ireland wasn't getting results, but now that we won, they'll point to the performance, which is the argument Kenny and supporters would use in other games. Damned if you do and damned if you don't. Yeah, like the disappointment last night is that it's obviously a relegation playoff. And what screwed Ireland was the first day against Armenia. Likewise, what screwed Ireland in the last campaign was the defeat against Luxembourg. And if you look back in the last campaign, if Ireland had won that game against Luxembourg, they probably would have been right in the mix in that last match. And likewise, last night, it was an incredibly tight group, except for the fact that Ireland had lost against Armenia. And that sort of result is unacceptable. And that sort of result will kill them in the next qualifying campaign if they don't win their games against the lowest two ranked teams. You've got to win those four games, guaranteed, win them easily, and then do what you've been doing against the better teams. Like just, but they just can't to, afford any little slip-ups. Just to play that out, if we'd, if we'd actually beaten Armenia, it still we wouldn't have been in it last night because of the Scotland result. But maybe at one all with the game against Scotland, that changes how you approach those last 10-15 minutes. I don't know if that alters the substitutions and, and the, the tone and uh, the music around it, but it would have been interesting to see what the pressure in a positive sense might have done to the team so look I, I mean the relegation thing it was real the the mood was he will lose his job in one of the papers that I'm no doubt was around the team hotel lose tonight and he loses his job that that has to get to the players at some point so um, I don't know they, they won a relegation playoff it's uh, one of our best ever performances in this competition I mean <laughs> yeah, that's positive. There's never been a lower bar set than that. If, if hypothetically, in a, in a in a different universe, if Armenia had gone on to score a third and win the game three two, like, are we talking about Kenny's? Are we talking hypothetically about Kenny's job? Yeah. being gone. It's very it's, very difficult to. That's the only definitive take. I feel like we're none the wiser a week later. Everybody clue. feels the same as they did a week ago. But what what's our consensus here? I was asking Nathan. Who, uh, who stood out for you the last two games and you listed loads of players legitimately yeah, yeah. and we had two exciting games and we won last night but it feels like uh, it's a bit of a morning <laughs> today maybe our bar I is so know. high I think uh, there's entrenched views on both sides the problem for me is I'm not sure the players fully believe in it for all the way through the game maybe two thirds of it and I think we have that final third to go yet so I do think there's actually seeding for him to improve a bit more 
but the doubters are going to constantly remain if we're getting these results, unfortunately. I think the football is quite good. Yeah. Yeah, I, and you made a good point, Jer, about that the players are aware. They, Robert Brady will say he doesn't read the papers, but they are aware of the intense scrutiny that Stephen Kenny is under. And they're very young, inexperienced players who don't have to deal with anything like this sort of pressure generally at club level. And is that enabling them to play their best football? It's not going to change. They need to find a way. The pressure is always going to be high. It's only going to get higher going into March. But they need to be able to cope with that. And I, I'd almost disagree with him. I think actually they stuck with. They believed in what he was saying last night was almost the problem, that he needed to just call a halt on 65 minutes and say, let's regroup, lads. Right. Let's get ourselves together structurally. Whereas they just kept, they sort of just seemed to lose all shape, all discipline. And you're right, this debate is going to go on. But look, the Manchester Derby's on the weekend. Everyone will be back to the Premier League. And, wow. you know, as I said last week, it'll be the week of the game before it all sort of pops up again. All right, 14 minutes past eight. Nathan, good stuff. Thanks a million. Uh, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, the latest Koi Gig podcast is up with Kathleen McNamee, Emma Byrne and Karen Duggan talking about Manchester United's start of the season. The Koi Gig pod on OTB Sports is in association with Cadbury FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. We're going to be back with David Myler for more on Stephen Kelly after this. OTB AM. Right, 17 minutes past eight. David Myler is with us. David, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, lads. How do you make sense of what happened last night? What did you take away from the game? Um, oh, look... Going into the game, it was, it was a nothing game. Of course, I know that there was the threat of relegation. It was obviously looming over the the result of it. But at the end of the day, Stephen was on a win to win to lose kind of. There was nothing really good going to come out of it. If Ireland gone on and won three nil, everyone everyone would have gone. Oh well, Ireland are expected to beat them three nil. They're ninety second in the world. Um, we have a calamitous five minutes. Obviously, you can see the two goals, and then we get a slice of luck which we probably didn't have against Scotland, obviously with their penalty decision. Uh, we got one against Armenia. We get back in, we win the game. I think it was just, a, it kind of came to the point where that group needed to be over and it needed to be ended. And we just needed to make sure that we didn't get relegated. So now we can move forward to the draw in October and prepare for March. So you're not taking too many lessons one way or another out of that game? No, I, I, I just, I was watching the game just, like, look, we were completely dominant. Um, they sat right off in a low block. You know, obviously, you could see with Steven's game plan, you know, the two wing-backs were going to obviously be high forward, trying to get crosses into the box. You know, the, obviously, the outside centre-halves were joining in. It was all very good and well. We we were getting into very dangerous areas. We weren't creating a whole lot. Um, a lot of our set, you know, it was a lot of set pieces that our, our chances came down to. But at least it was a positive kind of influence on the game. We were, you know, pushing them right back. Obviously, like I said there, you have those a blip in concentration with the complacency um, and we can see two goals. But like it, it, it comes down to like what side of the coin are you on? Are you in favour of Stephen or are you not in favour of Stephen? You know, there's a lot of noise coming from both sides from two different camps. At the end of the day, that game, like I, I heard the lads mention Damien. Damien Delaney had obviously said, look, it was a wooden spoon match. That's what it was. You know, there was nothing coming out of the group. We just needed to get a win, get over it. Obviously, I know they got the f- f- friendlies in November against Malta and Norway. Um, but it's all about the qualifying group for the Euros and that starts in March. Um, he's bedded a lot of young players in. They'll, take in. they'll have taken a lot from, you know, the last kind of Nations League campaign. Like, you look at how many of them are, you know, still 2021. They have a lot of learning to do. There's probably that lack of experience, you know, with them. 
obviously they do have some experienced players, but albeit a lot of them aren't on the pitch at the same time. So, like David, there's not a lot you could take from it. No, like there, there's been a quite a substantial bit of negativity from from some of your fellow ex professionals, you know, and, and and teammates, I guess, as well around around Stephen Kenny and what's happening. You know, three wins in twenty competitive games and all that. And Damien Delaney on television last night was kind of pointing out we can't take much confidence into into March. Even like I was messaging a uh, good morning man, former Irish international Jonathan Douglas last night, and he was saying to me, "Fed up reading. We are going in the right direction. We're going nowhere fast." Like a lot of ex professionals are. are uh, taking that line, that do, do you kind of agree, or can you see where they're coming from? That 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 there is a lot of negativity around Stephen at the minute. Oh, of course, but that look, Stephen's Stephen's not excluded from that because he is the you know the Irish senior national manager. He's going to come under you know criticism. He knows that, but like like Damien said the other night, like it's a results you know it's a results business. You know he gets a result. He's won the game, albeit the performance wasn't fantastic, but. If anyone had said going into the Armenia game they weren't confident going into March, fair enough. But whether Ireland had won 3 4 5 nil last night, would you have been any more confident? Because Armenia are 92nd in the world. So it, it, it was a nothing game. We just needed to get a result, get the victory, and just move on. Like, of course, there's going to be people who want it here and now, but unfortunately, that's not going to happen. Like I said initially when he took over, listening to his interviews, there is a long-term vision with him, which I appreciate. A lot of these young lads, like like you look at them, they're still twenty twenty-one. They're carving out, you know, their careers. A lot of them aren't playing regular football. Um, they're not at the level that we would have, you know, we'd obviously love to see them play. Um, but this, this, there is there is positive throughout the thing. It's just when you come down, you you, you minimize it to results only. Um, you know, it's it's not been fantastic, but I don't think Stephen would shy away from that. Uh, from a, a, a tactical perspective, um, are you seeing an evolution in the style of play that at least suggests that the plan that they're trying to build on is being carried out? I, I guess that's one of the things you can kind of say. Although, albeit it's a nothing game, the shape of the team should begin to emerge over the, the period of, say, the last three or four games in particular. Post-COVID, everybody's back normal. There's fans in the stadium. Like, if we if we take that as a kind of a, a, a point forward, I mean, certainly I'm not... I'm not ignoring the previous results because you can't do that. But if you take mm-hmm. it as, okay, this is like a, a reset button, is there enough of a trend there that you're saying, okay, this team is actually quite well coached. I understand what they're trying to do. I can see what they're trying to achieve. They might not always be great at it, but I'm going to mark them now on the basis of uh, the plan, at least, that's in place. Yeah, and you can tell from the way that they're playing. Obviously, Stephen has adapted this five at the back. I know he didn't really play it at Dundalk. He said he played it previous jobs um, but certainly with the personnel we have you can see that they're they're working together they're obviously practicing on the training run they're going through it players look comfortable I think Stephen now is at a position where he kind of knows his starting 11 um, like obviously I I would have put Agbene higher up in the pecking order I was surprised he didn't feature last night I don't know was there a knock or something but he seems to have that you know 11 players guaranteed that he thinks is going to start you can see from one of his interviews about um, Josh Cullen obviously who was suspended that he was an integral part of their team. You can tell by the you know the type of player he is. Certainly, with keeping possession, kind of keeping things safe and tight, um, in front of the back back five or the three centre halves. <coughs> certainly, there has been a shift in the way he's trying to progress Ireland and the way they're playing. And look, from the outside looking in, and from you know mumblings I hear from different players, they've all bought into it. Um, so that's that's a positive. But it's just regardless of however last night, I don't think it would have been. 
I don't think there would have been if, if Ireland had won three or four nil. I don't think there would have been a lot more optimism this morning. Is the midfield a concern? Like you mentioned, Josh Cullen there, and, and and it was quite glaring that he wasn't on the pitch last night. I know Jeff Hendrick probably didn't have the best game he's ever had in Irish jersey, but is that maybe relative lack of strength and depth in that position a, a concern going forward, David? Well, I played midfield, but there was always a concern over midfield, like going back all the way back to 2012, kind of, you know, that Euros. Um, obviously, Glenn, you know, Glenn and Keith, like people had question marks over them, even though the two of them were very good players. And then coming onwards in the teams I played, and people always had concerns over, you know, midfield. Obviously, we were very fortunate to have a player like Roy. And if you go back further, kind of your Andy Townsend's, Matt Hollins, those players, they were very good players. But there's always been. It's always been a question mark area for Ireland um, that we haven't had the players in midfield kind of you know, truly dominate a game. Obviously, Josh has come in. His playing style is suited Stephen and the way he wants to go. But like, it's, it's just... Jeff has been a, a bit of a scapegoat since, you know, since 2017 that everyone seems to kind of pile on him. Okay, yeah, it wasn't his greatest performance for Ireland. But at least he doesn't, you know, shirk the challenge of trying to get on the ball, trying to make stuff happen. He gets into the, you know, the into the final third he's trying to play passes albeit some of them don't come off but he's one of the ones that is trying to drive us forward and try and play the ball into key areas now on the flip side of that is Stephen giving him the license to go and be the one that's going to try and create I'd like to think so because he does play you know, a lot of games for him uh, Is Robbie Brady a potential midfielder in the future? Oh there we go we've just lost we've just lost David there uh, Connor Joyce says it's outrageous that two years in people are still afraid to criticise Kenny why is he any different to other Irish managers and much more successful ones I mean I don't I don't see a world where people are afraid to criticise Stephen Kenny we're, we're talking about um, trying to put some context on what's going on I enjoyed one of the comments there from MGW per, per young lad Shane thanks for calling me young by the way per young lad Shane wants to call for Kenny's head but <clears> has to toe the line with the OTB pro Kenny at all costs as they dig harder and harder they never get anyone on that disagrees with their opinion I'm, I don't have to toe any line I said at the outset I am confused. I like what Kenny's doing with this team, and yet I can recognise that for periods last night it was atrocious. So I think a lot of Irish fans are confused this morning. I'm just one of them. Yeah, I think uh, that was generally the consensus coming out. What happened last night? How do, how do you explain it? And even Nathan was talking to the players afterwards, David, and they couldn't quite explain what happened. Is it? Have you been in games like that where everything is cruising and the opposition don't appear to be trying to score and all of a sudden... Three minutes later, you're like in danger of going out of the competition if it's a cup game or, or losing the match. Like, how, how does it happen that a team is so dominant? We, we dominated possession that I think we had 19 shots and they had four and two goals out of them. Um, like, the stats are all heavily suggesting that it was a dominant performance from Ireland. Just the, I, I haven't seen the XG, I wouldn't mind seeing it. Oh, I think it was 1.92 to like 0.2 something, maybe. Right. No, I, X, it, well, it couldn't have been 1.92. What you say? Should we scored? We scored three goals. So XG would have to be higher, wouldn't it? What is it? No, I think sometimes you can you can outperform your. Oh, XG, XG, XG is a load of nonsense. You look <laughs> at the chances. I, I've never been a fan of XG. But what were you asking there? Uh, have you ever been in a game like that? Or what happened? Like, yeah. can you? So, what? Two things really. In the change room, what happens afterwards? Who's saying what to who? I, there's, there's one game that sticks out in my mind. We played Bristol um, with Hull in the championship a few years ago. Oh, I think we were like 1-0 down, went 2-1 up with about, I'm going to say, four minutes to go. Ended up losing 3-2. And it was all sorts of words were exchanged in the change room. Um, somebody got studded in the chest. There was all sorts of fighting and 
yeah, look, it happens. Uh, fellas were trying to hold one another accountable for what had happened. But it's just momentum. It, like in football, like it almost felt watching that game last night. Like I was looking at it kind of going, those are one of those games you'd love to play in where you're you're completely dominant. You have all the possession. You're getting down the flanks. You're getting down the wings. You're creating chances. Like players almost got ahead of themselves getting forward and we just left ourselves completely exposed and open that, you know, so many bodies like for the first goal, our midfield kind of vacates, like they all get forward. And then in the transition, the recovery runs too slow. They don't get back quick enough and you get punished. Like, albeit, yes, they are, you know, 92nd of the world, but they're, you know, they're not the worst players ever. You know what I mean? They can still put, you know, they can string a lot of passes together and, as you've seen from the second goal, boys can't finish, you know, um, and that, that can happen, you know, certainly at, at that level. You just felt that the, the one thing for me was after the first went, first goal went in, it was like, you've got to tighten up for five minutes, get the momentum back, just dominate possession, just be, be on the front foot. And we kind of just backed off and look, I don't need to, I don't need to hang Connor out to dry. Obviously it was a poor square pass, gets intercepted. And it's, like I said, it's a tidy finish. But then it was even at 2-2, they had another chance to just flash past the post. And you're thinking, oh, my God, could this be could this be this night? Um, but eventually, look, they got the job done. Um, it's a results business. So. And Connor's, Connor's one of the more experienced players, and he's one of the leaders in that team as well, David. And, and like that was one of the moments, I think it was Tony O'Donoghue chatting to, to Stephen afterwards. And I noticed a flicker in, in Stephen's eyes when he was asked a question about leadership at 2-0 at, at up. Um, and he referenced Conor Huron and I think Stephen then name-checked John Egan he said look we have leaders in the team look at John Egan he, he almost seemed a little bit agitated to be asked the question about leadership but is that not is that not a fair criticism Stephen that sometimes or David like at 2-0 up you, you, you need your big players your leaders your, your top players to step up and, and see a game out like that against the 92nd best team in the world but it's not just about your leaders or your, or your top players like these are all professional players They'll have played football. They know themselves that the, you're two nil up in a game with 20 minutes to go. You see that through. You cannot. If, okay, look, a goal can come. You can concede a goal. The line, the line is gone again. Um, yeah, like I mean, it did, it did obviously happen to uh, to Germany the night before. Somebody had good context there about the the group, um, the group that we're going to be in. And the teams were in uh, B and C. <clears throat> Some perspective. Davis Ganland says Northern Ireland and Slovakia, <clears throat> pardon me, stuck in League C. England, Wales relegated to B. Sweden relegated to C. We're not in a good place, but things could be a lot worse. Yeah, it's fair. And you see the, the results of Northern Ireland last night getting beaten out the gate basically by Greece and, and, and the struggles they're under with, with Baraclough. Things could be a lot worse. Kenny we, FM is rattled. Who'll be the first to jump ship? Asks Owen O'Connor. <laughs> yeah, just waiting for someone to come on. In. But why would anyone... like there, there are no... And even the people who are anti-Kenny, there are no replacements at the minute. Give us your alternatives. Put, put, out, the, put out the alternative viewpoint in a, in a different world. Do we go back to, to Martin O'Neill? Does Roy Keane come in and take this job? What are the list of candidates of available managers who are interested in the Ireland job? Now, here's the thing, right? It's a much better job to get next than it was when yeah, Kenny took over exactly because there's a bunch of 20, 21, 22, 23 year olds who have 15 to 20 caps yeah. which is quite an exciting period you just need a sprinkling then of a couple more players to come through and away you go I see the argument made in comments all the time that oh Jesus we, like if this was Martin O'Neill or Mick McCarthy getting the results Stephen Kenny's getting they'd be yeah, completely criticised but I don't I don't I don't get that I don't I don't accept that that like 
Stephen Kenny, we, we know, but he won the game last night. Record-breaking uh, points haul in the uh, Nations League. David Myler's back. David, good morning. Good morning to you again. <laughs> sorry, lads. Skype. I don't like Skype. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I'm sorry, I'm laughing at you, record-breaking the Nations well, yeah, League. It's like, you know, yeah. we, we haven't really taken the Nations League seriously as a, as a nation up to this point. And then everyone's like, actually, maybe we should take this seriously because there's a potential for a playoff. And then Stephen Kenny said, oh, we're going to win the group, which, you know, in retrospect, wasn't great. Can I ask you, we were having this conversation since the start. How important are his press conferences and his interviews um, for the players, right? Because we, we, in the media, and the fans talk about them non-stop and... There's, you know, it's been a mixed bag, a bit of a hostage to fortune saying, oh, we're gonna, we, we can win this group. Um, but what do the players, does it matter to the players what he says? Are they, are they watching that for clues and signals or do they talk about it? What's your, what's your instinct in the past? What would have been the case? I would have never read too much into a manager's press conference um, or, you know, certainly after a draw or something. Of course, once the draw is made, you're thinking, how can we, how can we progress? You're looking at, I initially came on, I remember at the start, once um, I was on off the ball and, you know, we drawn this group with Scotland, Ukraine. I looked at it and kind of gone, that's a difficult group. Um, there's not a lot between us and, you know, Scotland. Obviously, um, Ukraine had a good Euros. Obviously, albeit there's a lot going on in their country. Um, but still, I didn't think it was going to be going to be easy, which has not been. But as a player, you always feel, can we, you're looking at the games, can we beat Scotland? Yes, we can. Can we beat Ukraine? Yes, we can. Like, I never looked a lot into it, kind of, we were, you'd be more focused, regardless, unless the manager was talking about in you individually, you might then hear it. Um, you'd be kind of curious to know what he said about you, but I, the lads will know coming into any camp when it was the first one, they've got to go and you're expected to beat Armenia home and away. You're expected to get a result against Scotland at home. You might have to then, you know, for come to a draw away from home against Ukraine and Scotland. But those would be the kind of expectations. If you look at it, if we win those two games, that's six points. Beat Scotland at home, that's nine points. You know, Ukraine kind of, I would have looked at it as kind of a free shot home and away. Could you pick something up on that? Two points, possibly three points. Then all of a sudden you're on 12 going to Scotland away where can you then get a result? Like the big thing was, I think after the Armenia away defeat, in Yerevan, it was almost kind of, they were always on the back foot and they were trying to make up too much ground. And then, you know, performances end up getting, the game kind of gets away from you before you know it. You're you're kind of like in a position where you're, you're drawing or you're losing. And if the results in the earlier part of the campaign had gone well, like even if you look back to 2016 when we qualified for the Euros, like we had a calamitous result against Scotland away where... Everybody was calling for Martin O'Neill's head, blah, blah, blah. And then we ended up going and getting a result against Germany where it just flipped the whole thing on its head, you know? And then we had the momentum to get going. Like, that's why once the draw is done, like, I'd, I wouldn't read too much into the November internationals. I think boys who've been in around the squad now who haven't got as much game time will probably feature in those games. He'll give them an opportunity to kind of put their case forward for a starting 11 uh, slot. But then once the draw is done, you'll be looking at the first you know, the opening games, we need to get results. Um, we need to be, you know, Stephen st- um, spoken about making the Aviva Fortress. Our home form is going to be crucial. Um, and we've always, I've always felt anyway, in the time I played for Ireland and going back, we've always been able to produce 
performance to get a result away from home, which we've done over the years. Uh, Shane Keegan has corrected my XG 3.23 to 0.25 was that was the correct figures and um, like a lot of possession last I, I, night. so I was sweet so, so I was right you were was correct over three. you were yeah, correct yeah. Evan you were correct and yeah. um, the like so much possession last night without real penetration I guess but do we have to somehow David learn how to play against these teams with the low block because like you mentioned the next qualifying group like but did we not do that last night did we not create a lot of chances did we not play well like, I thought like at 2-0 I thought okay so this is good this is a tempe for the next time uh, whoever the minnows in our group are this is how we should play we'll we'll be very strong from set pieces we'll get our fullbacks exceedingly wide and we'll create space and you'll hope that there'll be some room for a bit of magic from it's going to be Obafemi and I, I thought we had done well I thought there was a template there and yet we nearly dropped points at home but but up until the bit where we completely had a brain fart yes yeah. like I think that's a template for how you approach those games but the, I guess my point is that, that regardless of who we get in the group in Frankfurt on Sunday week like I, I'm almost confident-ish against the first and second seeds you know because they can get up for those games it's the it's the lesser teams in the group that we tend to for some reason struggle against David I wouldn't say you get up for if you're playing a Germany, Spain, Italy, France, as opposed to an Armenia, you know, Gibraltar. I don't. I wouldn't say you get up for one game more than the other. This is. I'm, I'm speaking on my own experience. I'd like to think that, you know, when you represent Ireland, whoever you're playing, you should be, you know, fully up for the game. Uh, like the thing was last night. Yes, we did create chances, but how many of those would you say were real, clear-cut goal-scoring opportunities? You know, uh, you know, the first goal comes from the set piece. Three point two of them. Three point two five. Yeah. <laughs> like the first one, obviously, is Robbie's Robbie's um, free kick in the header. Michael's is a good forward pass. I think it's Daryl Shea who plays the ball forward. Michael gets on the half turn, drives forward. We've seen that against Scotland. Strikes it from distance, which is a, an incredible individual goal. The second one is a set piece. Ball falls into the box. It's a scramble. Gets hit off a hand. It's a penalty. Brady tucks it away. Like, if you revert back, how many other opportunities did we have that were intricate play? You know, like, the hardest thing the hardest thing when you play up against a low block is when you have, like, an Obafemi and Parrot, they get attracted to the ball. And if you're one of the, you know, the Armenians in a half, you're kind of going, well, that's fine. You push out that way. You know what I mean? I can, de- I can deal with that. You're, you're going away from goal, whereas we needed to get some added runners in behind to kind of try and albeit there's limited space, try and stretch them, create spaces in between. Okay, so um, there's a bit of work to be done on that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how's the training for your Ironman coming along? Oh, I haven't started that. I'll tell you why I woke up this morning, my, my right knee's in high knee. I think I was watching the football last night. <laughs> it's uh, it's coming out in sympathy with the Ireland performance, is it? No, no, no. Um, oh, look, Jerry, you can... That game last night was a nothing game. Yes, we don't want to get relegated. Of course, we want to stay in the Nations League B. But at the same time, if we'd won 3-0, would the talk be any different? No, those, lost, those who had made their mind up have made their mind up. That seems to be exactly, it. And, and, and it's, well, we're it's trying hard to, to change someone. Yeah, It's hard to change someone's mind. Can I just, David, before we go, one note of positivity. Uh, Tom Moen is a man I know reasonably well from, from back home. But um, we all know the 21s and the, the positivity coming through there in the 19s as well but um, fill us with optimism with the future I know you're involved in that under 17 setup as well like how, how are the lads faring how are the how's the, the talent that is emerging no obviously I've, I've kept a close eye with Tom because now with me being involved with the 17s these players are moving on from the 17s I think we've got five in the squad 
um, who've gone on to play obviously against Wales, Hungary. Um, forgotten who they played in the first one, but um, they've gone on and they've they've done ter- terrifically well. Obviously, winning their group with you know, maximum points, which is which is fantastic. Um, I'm delighted for Tom because now he is you know something to look forward to. Obviously, then the flip side of that with the 21s, um, I watched their game in Tala. Um, they were very unfortunate. It was kind of probably a missed opportunity for them. They look, I imagine Jim will look back on that thinking we could have gotten another goal or, or you know, just kept it together and kind of got that victory going over um, because it was always going to be difficult to go to Israel. Um, but they had an incredible season. You know, to think that they got to a playoff and, and the unfortunate way to lose on penalties was very cruel. There's a lot of optimism um, with these younger players coming through. Obviously, we've got our own campaign starting next month with 17s, but we'll be looking to you know follow with Tom and qualify for the elite phase in March. Well, listen, best of luck with that, David. Great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Uh, David Myler giving us some insight into what the players will be thinking in the aftermath of that game. Now, all this week, it's an incredible opportunity to combine sport and leisure with a visit to Los Angeles on America's West Coast. You and two friends could be jetting off with multi-award winning Cassidy Travel on direct flights from Dublin with Aer Lingus on the 1st of December to spend four nights in the four-star hotel The Wayfarer in downtown LA to take in the LA Rams versus the Seattle Seahawks in the NFL. To be in the hat for this great prize, follow at Cassidy Travel on Twitter and retweet our competition post. It's all thanks to Cassidy Travel, your one-stop sports travel shop. Sports and travel, a perfect match. You can visit CassidyTravel.ie for more. This is one of the few times in my life where people have been getting in touch with me about the competition prize going, uh, uh, you know, (laughs) I cannot fix it for you. But uh, if I happen to know you and you win the prize, then you have to take me with you. That's all I'll say. John Duggan, how are you? Chair and Shane, how are we doing? What did you make of last night? Well, the biggest thing in my life uh, as a sports fan has always been the Republic of Ireland soccer team. I think it's the biggest thing in the country. And I'm a bit dispirited because uh, for me as a sports fan, I want to feel that our teams are in the arena. In other words, that we're in the hunt to do something or be something or get somewhere. And the last time I really would have felt that with the Republic of Ireland team was the James McLean goal in Wales five years ago when we were on the road to a World Cup playoff. And obviously we know what happened then against Denmark but I don't get the sense we're anywhere near that at the moment and I think it could be years before we're in the arena for something that's why the All Blacks win for the rugby team was so important this summer in my mind because we can win a World Cup now in rugby unlikely that we will but we can whereas there's no can at the moment with Irish football and that soccer team Um, what's the best we can hope for Uh, it's really hard now almost not to qualify for the Euros it's one and two teams 24 teams and our hope at the moment is that we might gallantly lose in the last 16 of a European Championship or at a real, real stretch get to the last eight. And that for me is a bit dispiriting because there's, I was even looking on Damien Delaney last night, I was on Virgin and the social media clips were posted and I think he made some very passionate points and legitimate points, but the reaction to him was very tribal and it was almost like a tribalism around the manager and the style of play and this and that, whereas I think the issues in Irish football are much more structural. The budget coming out yesterday and you'll have tens of millions allocated to an industry of horse racing, which is a worldwide leading industry. Um, But that's what it takes. It takes that amount of investment. We know the FAI in the previous guys mismanaged things that came out, obviously. Um, And I don't know if the money is there at the moment, uh, if the population's there, if the um, competitive sports are allowing the uh, environment, especially with the Premier League now being a global league and harder to access, that we're having six, seven, eight-year-olds 
you know, playing really, really good technical football to allow us in 10, 15, 20 years' time to compete at the top level and to be in the arena. And I don't feel we're in that arena. So t- taking the structural issues, right, um, when you're watching the team, is it uh, still an emotional investment? It's the biggest thing. It's the biggest thing in my life has always been the Republic of Ireland soccer team growing up. And even, like, say, back to 2016, people are going, oh, we haven't had a team in years. 2016, we rattled the French on home soil uh, who would end up being the next World Cup winners. So that was only six years ago that we did that. And I have a huge emotional um, investment in the team. I thought the game against Scotland in the summer was great. But there are things we just need to fix, I think, in the, in, in the micro sense, which is, uh, like for Stephen Kenny's team, beating weaker teams comfortably. You know, Armenia were thumped 5-0 by Ukraine at the weekend. They're 92nd in the world. So there's these... Uh, I get that point, but Nathan made the point earlier that uh, he was doing his research and the time that they were last here, which is obviously a big night in Armenian football history and they got ridden by the referee um, in their own words at that stage. We had that um, 2012 team, which had... Duffer and Richard Dunn and Shea Given in it and we were 2-0 up they had their was it the goalkeeper was sent off yeah, 2011 yeah 2011 the goalkeeper was sent off and they put us under the cosh with 10 men by scoring and then we were like frantically defending at the end in controversial circumstances um, so like while Ukraine beat them 5-0 I get that historically we're where we are versus those not great teams at home we should be beating Luxembourg and Azerbaijan and Armenia much more comfortably than we have been but when you talk about an arena John like this Irish team if we qualify for a major tournament great um, if we get to a last 16 brilliant and if we get to a quarter final that's exceptional that's, that's where we are as a country that's where we always have been it's not but, where we always have been well that, that's the furthest we've ever got Italian 19 no, no, we, we celebrate that like a massive moment in this country's yeah, history yeah because it's, it's the world you know we're nowhere near being in the last eight in the world we're nowhere near qualifying for World Cup at the moment I don't think we're nowhere near qualifying for World Cup. Thirteen teams out of Europe to, at the moment. Obviously, he's going to expand to forty-eight teams for twenty twenty-six and beyond. But we're nowhere near qualifying for World Cup. Can Stephen Kenny get us to that level where we are good enough to qualify? Well, for I, I don't know if Stephen Kenny has the the raw materials at his disposal to do that. Um, but I suppose the, the the issue and the immediate term is: Can Stephen Kenny's teams beat weaker teams more comfortably than they should? And and like that that is an issue because it is I, an issue. I, but I, it has I, historically I, been an but issue. I, but I've no, but now like you know if you look at Jack Charlton, Juno, Liechtenstein, yeah, but that was that that was when Jack Charlton's teams were over the hill. Well, like, but like, it still like, happened. No but, Jack, no, but Jack Charlton's teams in Dublin between 86 and 93 didn't lose a game until they lost to Spain. We routinely beat the Latvias, the Lithuanias, these teams are qualifying for 1994. Routinely beat them. And Did we not struggle against Cyprus? Was there not like a last minute or a late winner? No, I'm talking about the Jack's team here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So That was Mick McCarthy's team, was it? The O2 qualification. Well, we, we beat Andorra 3-1 O2, at Lansdowne Road that, in that campaign. O2 qualification we were... We, we were pretty good against the we had Roy Keane like that yeah, you know. yeah of course I, I think I think structurally it, it, like we so I've no issue with us going to Scotland and losing 2-1 no issue at all Scotland are on the up they've got a lot of Premier League players uh, they had a lot of tempo they had a home crowd they had nice. I've no issue with that defeat I have an issue with conceding goals outside the box against Luxembourg against Azerbaijan last night the chaos that we saw 
the lack of composure when we're 2-1 and two, when we just conceded the first goal, the lack of leadership there and the inability to break weaker teams down because ultimately we can't qualify for these tournaments unless we beat the weaker teams, especially at home. Like you, you said there, like you'd expect to qualify for, Euro, for the Euros now given the amount of teams to qualify. So Euro 2024, we'll expect to qualify. If we get to a, to a last 16 well, we, and no, get to I, wouldn't, group, I wouldn't expect. I think we've got a good chance. Good but chance. Yeah. But if we get to a last 16 then, John, is that not, is that not a good, has Stephen Kenny not achieved the level at which we're expecting him to achieve then is that not can we not celebrate la- right we got to a last 16 in Europe great I mean, is that not where we are given that we've but that is where we are and that's why you know is that in the arena in my mind it's on the edge of it uh, whereas I felt with O'Neill's team in 2016 before it all went south because it did go south after that because um, especially with the way we started those qualifiers for 2018 uh, we were uh, in the arena rattling the French 1-0 up at half time in Lyon so Stephen Kenny's football and I've been on the show many times saying that this is the football you want to see you don't want to see Mick McCarthy's football you don't want to see these one-all draws and these set pieces even though Egan starts score from set pieces you want to see progressive football and absolutely all completely behind that but there's just certain things that kind of make you frustrated because it's one step forward and it's one step back at the moment uh, so notwithstanding the, the, uh, the bigger issues in the short term what does Kenny need to do in the Euros qualifiers for you? Um, I, I think a lot of the positive talk needs to stop. I think, uh, you know, the, the, the coaches is a strange thing for me. I've gone through a lot of coaches, whether Damien Duff or um, Anthony Barry or John Eustace. There's a lot of turnover there in the coaching structure. I'd like to see that be stable. Um, and just try and maybe, like, it's difficult with raw materials. It is difficult for him. It's, it's to try and maybe progress players like Will Smallbow and her comfortable on the ball um, who's playing at the championship and uh, just try and break down weaker teams because I think there's no issue with us going away from home against better teams and producing a traditional Irish performance as we did in Portugal as we did in Serbia as we did in Scotland um, i just like to see, like where was Shields Odegbene the last two games he scored five goals in 11 games for Rotherham uh, so far this season, he's and was good off the bench as well. In, he's the fourth player, and he like, but you know, but towards the end of the the last campaign, he was the guy. Um, yeah, I, I'd be uh, I, I didn't understand it, and Kenny said at the end of his presser that he wasn't injured. So I don't understand. Like Parrot has been out of form. Parrot yeah. hasn't hit a barn door this season. Well, Parrot has been playing very well, according to. But he hasn't um, scored goals. Parrot's, sure, Parrot's sure, but score goals. Well, he's not. He's not. You know, it's not just that's. It's a multifaceted thing. He's probably going to end up being more of a provider for us rather than a goal scorer. And like, while um, I haven't seen him play for Preston, we have had. Uh, Vinnie Perth on the show who said he's watched all his press and stuff on, on Y Scout and he's actually been playing very well but mm-hmm. confidence is low and like once he missed that chance I, I, I wonder if Kenny kept him in the team because he's going to take him aside and say you know you're still brilliant whereas actually Chidoze Benny's going to be ready to go when the qualifiers come around I don't know it would be very interesting to, to hear that but again I just you, think it's about in for, about players who are Matt Sharp Matt Doherty hasn't played for Spurs this season he was at fault for that goal in Scotland like you've got to have players who are Matt Sharp in my opinion Do we have the bar set too high because of nostalgia and because of what we did 30 years ago? Like we don't have the play, we don't as we've mentioned Roy Keane here already. We don't have any Roy Keane in this team. We don't have any Premier League top Premier League level players. There's only a couple of players between Nathan Collins and Bazunu who are playing regular Premier League football. Like it, it's it's times have changed and football has changed, and that is three decades. There's there a huge amount of challenges. There's a huge amount of challenges, and like the fact that we don't have apart from Collins and Bazunu who actually had a, a, a poor game last night, we don't have players at the top level. But maybe the Championship is good enough. 
one of the best leagues in the world, like the top six or seven leagues in the world. I've no issue with us not um, being where we could be or compared to 30 years ago. Uh, it's, just, it's just frustrating that we can't beat uh, teams that we should be beating at home, like Luxembourg, Azerbaijan and Armenia. If we can beat those teams and put it up to the other teams that are ranked above us, then I'm happy with that. We did win last night, though. We did win the game, like, you know, it, it wasn't... But our performance in Scotland was much better. Yeah. In my opinion. All right. It's 8.51. If uh, <laughs> you'd like to get involved in this, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. It's time for Virtual Insanity. You have entered Power Drive. Right, where are we going, John? Uh, the Sanderson Farms Championship, as you would expect, uh, is on the PGA Tour in Mississippi from tomorrow. Unlucky last week, second with our headline tip. Rasmus Hoygo, 28-1 to 1, uh, in the French Open, which was a painful defeat, but there you go. Uh, so the profit is 33.2% going into this week's tournament, and it starts at 12.45 hours time tomorrow. So there are four golfers we're picking. If you want to get involved, obviously uh, don't use your shirt, only give, give, keep it two euro each way as a bit of interest. Uh, the headline tip is Sahith Tagala uh, at 18 to 1 for 7 euro each way. So t- Sahith Tagala um, is a beautifully naturally talented player who uh, was the 54-hole leader in this tournament last year, started off the season with a tie for 6th at the Fortinet Championship, 18 to 1 for 7 each way. I think he's got the artistry. He's got the je ne sais quoi. He's a brilliant college golfer. He's going to be one of the stars, of, I believe, of the next few years on the PGA Tour. Sahith Tagala is the headline tip at 18 to 1 to break his duck this week. The second tip is Denny McCarthy, the guy with the Irish name, one of the most improved players in golf. You have Bermuda Greens this week. Uh, in Mississippi at Jackson Country Club and he's the best putter in America on Bermuda Greens. He was one shot off the lead in the 54-hole stage in this tournament last year. He's been four times in the top 20 in the last four starts in this tournament, twice in the top 10. Denny McCarthy was 100 in the rankings the season before last, was 37th last season. Really improved player, Denny McCarthy. You got taste at 25 to 1 for 5 each way to get it done. Our third selection is Ben Ann at 66 to 1, third in this three years ago in this tournament and lost his form but came back out of the Corn Ferry Tour and on his first start this year was uh, tied for fourth. Uh, at the Fortinet Championship. So Ben Ann has regained his form, has course form, is 66 to 1 for two each way. The final player is Hayden Buckley, 125 to 1 for two each way from neighbouring Tennessee. Hayden Buckley was tied for fourth in this tournament last year, so he likes the course. Missed the cut in his first start, but he was the best player off the tee in Silverado. And if the putts can drop on a different putting surface this week, Hayden Buckley, who played so well at the US Open and was a rookie last year, could surprise a few. So Hayden Buckley, 125 to 1 for two each way. Ben Ann, 66 to 1 for two each way. Uh, we have also um, Denny McCarthy, 5 each way at 25s. And the headline tip, 7 each way. That's a Heath Tagala at 18 to 1 in the Sanderson Farms Championship. It starts tomorrow. We have to just wish ourselves the best of luck. Virtual Insanity on fire at the moment with John Duggan. That's this week's episode. You have entered Power Drive. Oh, wow! 
More from John, of course, on Saturday afternoon on Off the Ball on Newstalk. John, thanks very much for that. A reminder, OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio. Chris Waddle is OTB Gold at 1 o'clock. Koi Gig is live from 3. Our retro panel is The Sporting Mindset at 4. And OTB Gold is Paul McGrath at 6. And the show is live tonight with Joe. Eric Donovan's going to be in studio after his victory on Saturday night uh, on TG Gary. Met him at the Aviva last night. He looks pretty broken up, but he is absolutely delighted with life, and so he should be, having finally uh, got the redemption, the end to the redemption arc that he wanted, and he's really looking forward to tonight. So uh, make sure you tune in for that. It's going to be great. Kenny Cunningham's going to be on hand to reflect on last night, and Matt Williams will be on for Wednesday Night Rugby as well. Follow OTB across our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best in our latest sports content. We're back after these. The, the legendary Irish sports broadcaster, Timmy McCarthy, is going to tell us why you had to be there. First, here's Nathan and Joe at the Aviva last night alongside Gavin Comiskey talking before the match about the stadium atmosphere or lack thereof. We do crack jokes about this every time we're here and it's not a priority like let's sort out the dead and let's sort out the football. But when we've done with that, we do really need to talk about what is the atmosphere they're trying to create here right now? Like why are we blasting fans with this? The music painful so I've been to what uh, uh, this football gig you travel all over the world all over Europe and you don't get this anywhere it's it's painful well we were at Hampden Park on Saturday night one of the best atmospheres I've experienced at a football match from half an hour beforehand the place was packed they were playing a little bit of music, but they were all proper football anthems that almost the Scottish and Irish fans People were singing together. They knew what was coming as well. They knew what songs were yeah. coming, so they were coming into their seats to be there for those songs. And we're, we're doing the Manchester Derby next Sunday. Oh, yeah. We will do an hour pre-build-up without any of this sort of thing in the background. Look behind us. Nobody is talking to each other because it's too loud. It's like a bad nightclub. It's, it's, a, it's a basic thing. I, I, and I, know I can't believe I'm in a bad nightclub with Nathan Murphy. But it, I, I honestly do believe people are staying out of the stadium, as you said, as long as they possibly can, because yeah. it's just too bloody loud. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they have to have seen Hampton. In fairness to the FAI at the moment, they seem to be learning lessons, and they, they were just in Hampton Park. Hopefully they'll scribble it down, and by the time Haaland comes, we don't scare him off with this kind of these tunes. Shocking 80s dance music. <laughs> It's so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. You had to be there. Right, uh, I'm delighted to say Timmy McCarthy is the latest in our You Had to Be There series. Timmy, good morning to you. How are you? Great. Jared, great to be here. It's, Looking um, forward to this. Yeah, it's great to have you in the studio. Welcome back. Yeah, it's a long time. It's, yeah. now, it's been pre-COVID, so it's a long time. So, nicely back. Nicely back in person. Uh, your list... Um, Starts in 72 and finishes in 2008. So let's uh, go sequentially here. Um, the 1972 Cup Final. This is the FAI Cup Final. So I was a Cork Hibs fan and my father used to take me every Sunday to Flower Lodge. And, you know, when you look at League of Ireland today, back then there was 25,000 people at every game in Cork at that point in time. And from 68 to 74, Hibs were probably the best team in the country, um, along with Cork Celtic, who had, who had sports and Shamrock Rovers. But there was clubs like Drum Condra and, and Shellis. So every two weeks we'd go to Flower Lodge. Then the following Sunday we'd go to Turner's Cross to watch Celtic lose. That was the, that was the sort of uh, thing. And um, Hibs then brought in players like Dave Wigginton and Tony Marsden and, and, and players that from me, and John Lawson, Sonny Sweeney from right. Scotland. So they brought a really great uh, array of t- talent. And they had a couple of local stars. And Maya Denny was one of the local stars. And the background to, to my recollection, uh, my memory is that um, the week before, Hibbs played Waterford in Flower Lodge in front of 25,000 people. And if they won the game, they would have won the league. And it, was the, it would have been the first time, you know, it was a big thing. They'd won the league the year before in a playoff against Shamrock Rovers. So to retain it would have been a big thing for them. 
and uh, they were two up with 12 minutes to go and Waterford were down to nine men because oh, right. 12 men in the field Where two guys got injured <laughs> okay <laughs> reminiscence of last yeah. night and Waterford got three goals in the last 12 minutes oh wow and uh, I remember my father being devastated he was, we used to get there an hour and a half before the game because there was a rock um, on the terrace where he would stand me inside the rock so I could see over people with a milk crate in that sense and uh, he was devastated and you know I was 10 or 11 years of age so I was upset but I wasn't as devastated as, as he was he was really upset so the following week was uh, Daily Mill Park my first time ever being uh, at a soccer match in Dublin how um, did you get up? by train right and it, it was really scary it was a really scary experience. Big city. You know, big city. Um, you're coming in. We, we got off the train at Houston Station. And um, I remember I, my father would have a couple of drinks. And uh, I'd get a bottle of Fanta and a packet of crisps was my sort of, you know, um, treat for the time. Then we'd walk up. We walked up the North Circular Road and into Fibsborough. And it was packed. The place was absolutely packed with, you know, with fans from both sides. But particularly, you know, the, and our perception, well, my perception as a child of Dublin, I think, was very tough, you know. It was a really Really tough place. So now you're an 11 year old in in, in Daily Mo Park, and uh, I'd have seen on TV with international matches. So it was just a huge experience. Yeah. Um, and obviously, Waterford were league champions. So you're coming in with not with the same confidence you had probably the week before in that sense. And uh, Hibs wore a white jersey, green shorts, and um, green socks. And my favourite player was Wigginton, David Wigginton. And, um, you know, he came from England, uh, blonde, speedy guy, scored for fun. Uh, but that day, Maya was the star. And uh, he got the first ever hat-trick in, 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 F, in FAI history. Um, the only other hat-trick I was me- a memory of was Jeff Horst in the World Cup. So, you know, this was really yeah. unique at, uh, at any point in time. And I can remember the game where, you know, where Waterford were sort of in control of the game. They were obviously buoyed by the week before and the performance of the week before. And But Hibs were a really good football team. Um, Dave, because he had come in from England and taken over as player manager and he went on into home farm afterwards. But uh, Cork played really well on the day. And um, But the three goals were sloppy goals. Like They were really, you know, sort of... Strikers finishes, they yeah, call really, Yeah, and always his right foot. Always his right foot. And right. Now, Maya Denny lived one block away from me if you take or one street away from me the church field separated us you know so he was an idol to guys like me you know in a sense and Jerry Finnegan was another local player who played on the team so they both lived within you know within 500 yards of me so to see him on such a big stage and scoring three goals was phenomenal I mean it was just phenomenal on the day you know Do you think that stuff like this is a bit lost to the ether in Irish football history because Hibernians don't exist anymore in the same way like if that had been a Shamrock Rovers player scoring a hat-trick in 72 or a Bowles player scoring a hat-trick the first ever hat-trick we'd hear about it a lot like it's one of the things that maybe Irish football has like well that club doesn't exist so nobody can claim credit for it or nobody can kind of lean into the nostalgia for it am I wrong about that? No I think you're right I, I, I believe that I mean you know Hibs had a great era I said 68 to 74 they won the league they won a, a cu- two cups they won a, retained the final year they won a Black Snake Cup which was a big competition which was an All-Ireland competition at the time right. it went on for seven years only two Southern winners in the seven years you know um, and Hibs went out of business in 75 and like that the memories of those great times were just washed away it, it just seemed to be a, a case 
that you know you're no longer relevant. You know, yeah. I mean, Maya Denny. You know, when you, when you look at, at that team, you know, Tony Marsden, Wiggy, Sonny Sweeney, Johnny Lawson, John Herrick, Nola Manny, Martin Sheehan. You know, Joe Grady on goal. I mean, a legendary team played in European Cups when it, when you had to be champions to play in European Cups and Cup Winners Cup and um, and uh, like I see on YouTube, you know, a snippet of Maya Denny getting this hat trick in grainy black and white uh, with Jimmy Jimmy Gee got rest of soul as, as the commentator. But because Hibs are gone, we've lost, as you said, if, if this was particularly maybe a Dublin club, it might have stayed longer in that sense, but yeah. it, it shouldn't be lost. I mean, he went on to play for Ireland afterwards, and, you know, and he, I think he had 11 caps and scored a couple of goals. Um, but 11, definitely 11 is a caps, tragedy. Yeah, nothing to be sniffed at at all. OK, so that's your first one. Maya Denny, hat-trick for Cork Hibs in the 1972 FAI Cup final. Um, do you remember much about Daily Mount on the day? Like- I do, and uh, my son played later on with Bowes in, 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 for a period of time, and uh, Daily Mount hadn't changed to 40 years on. <laughs> actually scary to, in that sense but what I remember about it was you know it's uh, the size of it I mean Flower Lodge was big at the time that's uh, 25,000 people but Daily Mount you know looked bigger felt bigger you know the fact it was inside in Fibsborough you know right in the centre of, of, of a sort of a, a centre made just made it more expansive and it reminded me more of English grounds as I went to English grounds later on in my life than we say Flower Lodge which was out in Ballant Temple which is now Parky Rin sort of away from it for, for, from the, the, the hub of the city, so okay, I think I think I asked this of uh, Rory O'Connor when his episode of you had to be there was on. But like that experience of going to a match with your dad as a kid, you know, getting up at the train and, and and experiencing that with your dad, like that must be quite special to to think back on as well because it's it's a part of your upbringing, you know, going to matches with your with your dad. It's nearly just a. It's an amazing memory for me, and just, as I said, every every Sunday we went to games. Every Sunday we went to games. Cork Hibs was our team. Cork Celtic and Turners Cross, and. He grew my love for soccer. I mean, I love soccer. I really love soccer. So he grew my love for soccer. And uh, he was a very proud Corkman. Obviously, he loved GA and, and other sports. Um, he never saw me play basketball, which is actually ironic. And you consider it, you know, that I play, that was my main career ultimately later on. But to have my father, you know, introduce me to sport, introduce me to the passion of sport, introduce me to the price you have to pay to be a fan of sport, you know, and uh, and he took me to other places you know, as well. Do you mean the emotional toll of of being a, a fan? Uh, yeah, the emotional toll of being a fan that, you know, it doesn't all go well. It you doesn't know? all it go well. It does, because <laughs> it is, uh, and I can remember many years later when my son played Levan, he played for Athlone against Dundalk in a big game for Dundalk. And I had the pleasure of bringing my father to that game. Ah, my cool. son scored his first ever League of Ireland goal. And it was just a full cycle coming around that, you know, he had brought me to the game and now I was showing him my son at, at, at a later stage. So, yeah, very special for my late father, you know. So, you're talking, um, our next one is, uh, we're spooling forward 13 years and Jasper McElroy breaking the Irish basketball scoring record. Well, this is very personal to me because he was my teammate, OK? And McElroy uh, came into Ireland in '83. Um, from from Chicago uh, was one of the top 10 scorers uh, in Division 1 college so he was a phenomenal player and just wasn't drafted in the NBA because he was in between sizes you know he was about 6'5 you know and um, but he was a scoring machine and in Ireland he could play as a power forward inside but in the NBA you had to be 6'8 6'9 back at that point in time yeah. so he kind of got lost in the journey the other thing was interesting is how we got him was Compared to today, you know, the world is a global game for the American college players today. Back then it wasn't. China wasn't open to them. Eastern Europe wasn't open to them. Russia wasn't open. South America. So if they didn't make it in the NBA, they looked to go to Europe. And that's how we ended up getting some players who were probably, you know, way above the standard that, you know, um, we were delivering at a point in time. So he came in 83. Uh, we won the league in our first year in 83. 
um, phenomenal scorer. I mean, would score for fun, like okay. Um, and '85 came then, and we played a, a which is considered the most infamous cup final of all time, where we lost to Neptune in very controversial circumstances. And he was our main player on, on the team. We had two Americans at the time. Um, and then we played him. Um, we can then we, played can Killarney. We, can we stop? Can we stop there for a second? Tell us. Tell us about the controversial circumstances. Everybody well, going, what happened? So, <laughs> so what happened? What, well, what happened was uh, we led the entire game. And uh, I'm not bitter about this now 40 years. I was going to say, I'm going, bring it out. You're allowed to be bitter. This is, so, should, I think um, you should be bitter about stuff like this because what's the point yeah, of being in the first place? It, it really hurts me because, you know, um, on, on, on the day we were the better team. RT were televising it to record, uh, showing it in record a few weeks later. So with two minutes, 32 seconds to go, we're winning by seven points. And Neptune's Tom Sullivan shoots a three-point attempt, misses. Ray Smith gets the rebound and puts it in the basket for two points. So the score was 89-84. And it went up on the board, 89-85. And I w- was running up to court and said to the coach, the score was wrong. You know, like, the score was wrong. Over the next two minutes, we had a number of chances. Our American got fouled, not Jasper, no, because he was a scoring machine. Dale Roberts, 6'11 centre, not a great scorer, um, but a great rebounder. He got fouled four times in the next two minutes he got four one-on-ones and missed the four of them so it never changed the score for us we got a basket but with 29 seconds to go it was 91 points each on the scoreboard and we called a timeout and I said to the coach the score was wrong we are a point ahead and our tactic was then basically we had 30 seconds to keep the ball in that era so we could have kept the ball if we were a point ahead they would you know but because we were 91 all we had to go for a score Okay, and uh, we turned over the ball basically with, with three seconds to go, and they got a fast break and scored. 93 and 81, the place erupted. It was the first time they had ever beaten us, Neptune, in their own court, which was a brilliant thing for, for the game, I suppose, if you take it, the, the, the sort of wider view of it. Um, we were shocked, shocked that we lost, first of all, because we shouldn't have lost, and then shocked over the situation. And then within. 15 seconds the score changed to 92 91. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, we made a mistake. Oh. And uh, just, uh, we just never accepted our trophies, and we just feel that that was just, you know, it was just wrong. It was a bit reminding me of the, ni- the 72 USSR Olympic, um, USA men's Olympic final. 51 50, the Americans were winning, and um, the Russians uh, took out the ball in three seconds to go, lost the ball. Uh, commissioner said play it again lost the ball again and the commissioner played again then they scored the commissioner said 52-51 game over <laughs> USSR wins so that, well, that's my sad memory of the 85 cup final you that uh, Neptune Demons rivalry like for anyone who followed basketball back then would be familiar with it but like you all would have known each other quite well and yet it was still a fairly fiery um, rivalry I would imagine it, it was you know I, I described it once like a civil war you know we live within half a mile of each other all <laughs> the players I mean it was actually and you know and they were the so we were the dominant team and then they came in so they were the upstarts coming in and you know it's hard to know what would have happened if they hadn't won that game you know I mean history shows they won the game but if they hadn't won it because three weeks later um, on the Friday night we played them in the league decider and um, Terry Strickland tipped the ball in on the buzzer to beat us by a point. And the next day, they showed the, the cup final on TV. So it wasn't a really good weekend in my house now. <laughs> but I had no issue with that league this other. I mean, he, he, the, it was le- legit. He made, he made a shot. And, you know, and then a few weeks later, we beat. they were going for the treble then. Um, and we beat them in the championship final. It was, right. you know, was a big thing for us. But in, in between those games, McElroy, we, we played Killarney. And Killarney would have been... 
the first team to bring in Americans. They would, you know, they, they started this whole American um, entry into into Ireland, and uh, we beat them 115-95. Um, Dale Roberts and myself got, I think, 17 points each. And Jasper Marker scored 70 points. Wow. <laughs> which was, to be with him, was just like an out-of-world experience, you know? Like, I was scoring, I think he scored 70 points, Dale scored 70 points. We felt that we had really contributed really well. And this guy, you know, scored you know, like five times what we had scored. And he just, like, he didn't miss a shot. You know, it was just like he was in this different world. Now, they had two Americans, and we, I mean, it was, you know, it was like, yeah. and they were like ranked three or four in the table last day. So it was the top of the table clash. And um, he just started, and, you know, like, I, I had a great relationship on the court with him and off the court, but on the court, I had a great, you know, relationship and understanding with him. And I can remember the very first ball I gave him, and he got it and spun and swerved and, like, just dropped in this little 10 foot baby shot. I said to myself, like, nothing but net here like this is serious and he just went to a different level and I sat back that night when I went home and I said this guy's good enough to be in the NBA this guy was good enough to be in the NBA and circumstances just as I said earlier prevented him but to be part of 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 an environment as a player where somebody steps way beyond the crowd now. I mean, way beyond the crowd. I mean, I was in Hamden Park when Zidane got his wonder goal. Okay, yeah. I was in Lanzaro when Roy Keane helped us against Holland and led the team against Holland. And I thought they were incredible performances. But to be part of an environment a, a, as a teammate of somebody who gets to just world-class level on one particular night yeah. is a very special moment. The hair literally stands up at the back of your neck. That's like, it's cliche because it's it's true. You can feel it going, well, this is something special. We've <laughs> even clicked up a piece from uh, Kieran Shannon here from 10 years ago in the Examiner and he was saying like the, the only twice in national competition did Jasper McElroy fail to score fewer than 39 points against Neptune. So it was obviously a team he, he liked playing against. There was consistency as yes. well with him. Like, and he and what he was was and they what he was was a scorer. Okay, I mean that's like, but they used to put a guy man marking him. So they'd have a guy Joe Healy actually who would just ignore the game and just really trying to annoy McIlroy, and he'd still get forty points a game in that sense. Like I, I, I think Kieran wrote in his book Hanging from the Rafters that I averaged I think twenty odd points against Neptune in my career. But it was irrelevant compared to McElroy. Ah, no, it's not I, bad. But you, bad, you, you yeah. kind of come home, Phil. I've really played well, and you know this guy is getting forty points or fifty points. Did he you, was just brilliant. Did you play with all the Neptune lads for Ireland then? Yes. Yeah. So you knock lumps off each other and then, like, kind of eyeball each other for the first training session, and then become teammates. Or oh was yeah, it, was I it mean, straight away. It was straight away. It was okay. straight away in that sense. No, I can't say it with every single player because obviously there's individual rivalries you know, okay, in yeah. that sense. But I would say with ninety five percent of them, you know, you there's just always one. There's, yeah, there's always, and they, they might feel the same about me or about some of my teammates in that sense. Like Tom Wilkinson, who played with me uh, with, with Demons and then went to Neptune. He was originally from Neptune and went back to them. Um, like we were roommates, so you know, so and then yeah. Tom Sullivan and, and, and those guys were, you know, but it was different though because when you do come in for the first day now I was captain for most of my career just so you have to kind of put your pride in your back pocket and you're not part of the Irish team so yeah. um, so if they beat you the night before or you beat them it doesn't matter but um, no it was instant in that sense it was okay. great times great times uh, Billy Buig has been in touch to say I was at both Waterford games the first was crazy three goals in the last ten minutes by ten men Timmy mentioned Jerry Finnegan what a player went to Shells afterwards one of the first court players ever signed by a Dublin club Jerry Finnegan was a midfielder, small, stout guy. You know, you'd look at him, great pass of the football. And again, you, in, in, when you look at the League of Ireland, look at soccer today, I mean, it, they were phenomenal players. Like, I mean, you know, like Jerry Finnegan held his own against Lawson and Sweeney, who were brought in from England and Scotland as full-time professionals. He was a coal man. So Jerry, Egan, you, Jerry Finnegan would deliver coal. Um, 
there's no coal mine anymore, I don't think, but he used to come around with, a, with his coal uh, van, get a bag of coal over his shoulder, with a, with a shawl over his head to keep his hair and his neck as clean as possible, come into our house, dump the coal in, and I'm lucky at this guy in all, like, because last Sunday I saw him yeah. perform for Cork Hibs, yeah, and he went to Dublin after, great player. Ron Nogara, Hiding Cup semi-final 2006. What stand out about this for you? It's uh, the Leinster performance. Yeah, well, well, it's it's the background to the game. He was coming to this game under enormous pressure. He was coming to the game because in a Celtic League game previously, Contaponi from Leinster had really ruled the roost, and you know, he was coming into this game, and Munster were coming into this game, um, where Leinster were starting to become, you know, relevant in the sense of of of. In, in, Heineken Cups they were starting to sort of Leinster beat Toulouse in the quarterfinals and Toulouse were the powerhouse and Leinster had done it with stunning rugby where there was one try they scored from behind their own goal line where Hickey runs like Linford Christie was the commentary and it was sensational and they were Toulouse were supposed to beat them they were mad favourites but suddenly this was a coming out party for Leinster and finally Leinster were going to you know ascend to the throne that they had uh, self-appointed themselves for five or ten years but Munster were waiting lying thinking and Leinster were favourites so it was the first time because Munster previous to that had always been favourites you know in those games for, uh, up to that point in time and so Munster were coming in under pressure and Agar was coming in under real pressure as Contaponi had you know sort of done a number on him in, in, in the Celtic League and um, many players spoke about it afterwards in different books Alan English book about the road to glory talked about many players said that Ogar was under pressure Munster kicked off um, Leinster Mal O'Kelly dropped the ball Gara kicked the penalty and all of a sudden you know I've never been at the game and you just felt like we're going to win this game like you know like this is going to be you know a, a, a win today and he was phenomenal not just in his kicking he missed one kick just before half time but in his control, in his passing, in his leadership. That was the day I saw O'Gara as a real leader, you know, because that, people were talking about David Wallace and Paul O'Connell and, and guys like that. But O'Gara really took control of the game, not just by his own performance, but he kept guys going here. You know, he kept guys going who, who were struggling. Um, I mean, Dennis Hickey, you talk about the Linford Christie sprint against Toulouse, made another sprint in the game, and O'Gar was back helping, you know, which people never gave him credit for his tackling and stuff, but he was. Um, then he obviously, you know, first half months were dominant. Then in the second half, Leinster took over the game, okay, and Contaponi missed ridiculous penalties. Like, I mean, it was, you know, like the three of us would have had better attempts. I mean, it was really awful, some of the kicking that he had on that day. And... Um, you know, but they were hanging in. They had closed the gap to sixteen six, I think. They had missed it three or four penalties, so they were sort of in the game. And then O'Gara gets the try with whatever eight or nine minutes to go, and um, you know ran probably faster and further than he probably ever ran in his career <laughs> at that point anymore. Since uh, jumped to hoarding, you he know, did, which was actually amazing, you know, and yeah. uh, kind of really gave it to everybody. And I just thought that that moment showed how much it really meant. Yeah. I just remember as a player, Joe, when when the pressure's really on and you're expected to deliver and you deliver. The, 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 the outbreak bursting of feeling and emotions are enormous and that's what happened to Ogara at that, at that point in time. Yeah, and I think it's the becoming of that Munster team where they go from being a nearly team to legends like uh, days like that am I right this is the Crow Park game isn't it? 
Lanzar Road. It is, it is Lanzar Road, yeah. okay. Yeah, the Croke Park was the... the, 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 the yeah. reverse, uh, yeah. you know. But it was the, like, the fact that it was the old Lanzar Road as well, that, that, that almost right. added... Yeah, there's yeah. nothing wrong with the new Lanzar Road atmosphere, yeah. but back back in the old Lanzar Road, there was something different to me, wasn't there, in terms of atmosphere. Like, it was just special and... It was tight. And it was tight and retro even, but, like, in its own way. Yeah, it was... You were actually... You felt you were on top of the pitch, you know. You felt you were, like, in with the players in, in that sense. It was obviously retro. And... Um, and Munster at that point in time, you know, as as you said, Joe, were the nearly men. They'd lost two Heineken Cups, and you know, and this really was. They went on to beat Baritz, but if they hadn't got over Leinster, Leinster would have started to become dominant earlier. I mean, they came, became dominant a couple of years later. So Munster may never have got the two titles that they got over that, over the, the, that year and, and two years later if they hadn't. And O'Gara was really the catalyst. You know, it was the one game I would say, you know, he had many great games. I mean, he kicked drop goals, you know, to, to win on like Grand Slams. And, yeah. But on that day, his, his performance was a complete performance from start to finish when he was really under pressure. Yeah, it was totally sickening as a Leinster fan. So you know, you know it's great when it's like, yeah, that one, that one sticks in the craw. Uh, right, so on to the golf and the Ryder Cup in in um, the same year, two thousand and six. This is Darren Clark's Ryder Cup. So I was an on-course commentator at, at the Ryder Cup for RT, and uh, it's probably the highlight, one of the highlights of my, of my commentating commentating career. And um, on the Friday, I got um, Woods and Furyk and Garcia and Donald in the afternoon of foursomes, and Woods and Furyk lost uh, two and one. So I was on the tee box in the morning when Clark walked on. And, you know, obviously his wife had passed away just a number of weeks previously. Um, there was a lot of debate about, you know, he hadn't played for, for a while before, that, before the Ryder Cup. And um, when he was picked, there was a lot of question marks about would he be able to stand up to the pressure, the emotional pressure? Would his game stand up? You know, so there was a lot of question marks about him coming into the, into the Ryder Cup at that point in time. And when he walked onto the first tee, because uh, obviously as an on-course commentator, you're inside the rope, so you have a different perception of, of, of the atmosphere. It was just phenomenal. I mean, it, it, was, it was, you know, a here's the back of your head moment, like, or back of your neck, raised. Like, it was just a moment in time where everything focused on Darren Clark. And um, then he went on, obviously, to, you know, to hit a great tee shot, and, and they won that game. But I was commentating the next day, um, in their in, in their match in, in the four ball match um, against Woods and Furyk, and it was a big match because for Clark I thought because the day before was emotion and hype and they got through it. Now it's just bread and butter. Now can you deliver? You know you haven't played for a number of months. Okay, can you really stand up to the, the pressure now? Woods and Furyk had lost the day before, so you know they wanted to respond in that sense. And the Americans were getting a bit of a trouncing at that point in time, and. He was just his golf was exceptional. I mean, you know, Dennis O'Sullivan, the senior pro, a European tour pro, was with me on the core commentary um, as we followed him. He got a birdie in four and five from nowhere, and you know, they went three up um, early on. Then they went four up on the fourteenth. Furyk got a great win for the Americans on the fifteenth. So we crossed the road to the sixteenth. And I said to Dennis as we were walking along the fair, I said, it'd be great if we got across the road because it didn't look like it at one stage. So we crossed the road to 16th, the par five with the Liffey um, splitting it and the green on the left-hand side. Um, Clark had an okay drive, okay? And then he laid up, in, in, but he laid up into the rough on the right-hand side and it was torrential. The rain came from nowhere now in that sense. Um, Westwood went into the water, so he was out of it, okay? And um, Woods hit a great shot, okay? To kind of give them a real chance for Bordy. And so you're walking up, and there's a grandstand on the left hand side, on the right hand side of the, of, of the fairway, facing directly uh, the green. And the emotion in the rain was just exceptional. And you're kind of saying, you know, can he deliver now? Can Clark actually get over the line now in that sense? Because 
um, he had levelled off a bit I felt as, as the game went on that day and uh, he chipped in on the 16th and um, you know it was actually I was watching a thing recently and uh, there I am with Dennis O'Sullivan in the background as he's hugging Tiger Woods and Timmy McCarthy and Dennis O'Sullivan in the back of the photograph for the back of it in that sense but just it was even though Friday was the emotional day for him the fact that he had the talent Okay, because a lot of question marks about Clark's ability to deliver back then, because mm. uh, he won a major later on. But back yeah. then, he had a lot of chances. Unfulfilled at that stage. Unfulfilled, yeah. and he really delivered. You know, particularly on the day that I commented on, he really, he really delivered. When the chips were down, early on in the game and late in the game, he stood out. And I just thought to myself that day, this guy's a serious golfer, and a major is is inevitable at some point for him. Did you meet Michael Jordan at the K Club that week? That was the very first ever interview I ever did live. Right. Was it with Michael Jordan? At the K-Club? At the K-Club. All right. Okay. And um, so we had asked him, what do you do an interview? We, we'd say Irish radio, because he wouldn't know who RT were at the point in time. And uh, did you ever have a moment where you're, it's the most exciting moment in your life, and you ask the most stupid question that comes up? <laughs> <laughs> many, so, many, Timmy. So, so there's, there's about a thousand people in, in an alcove, as I'm talking to, talking to Michael Jordan. And there's obviously whatever number, hundreds of thousand people listening to this live uh, on radio. And I, um, I'm all excited. And Jordan is there and I say, most stupid question I could come out of my, what's it like to be in Dublin for the Ryder Cup? And he's about 6'6", six, six, and you could, he shrugged his shoulders. He genuinely shrugged his shoulders. <laughs> the crowd took an inhale of breath, and I'm feeling really lonely now. It's just like, okay. And um, he, his answer was what my question deserved. He said, it's lovely. The people are lovely. The weather's lovely. The rain is lovely. The grass is lovely. The Guinness, it was all lovely, okay. And I remember at the time, um, the director in my ear was saying, like, this has been cut, like, you know, that's it, like, okay. And I'm saying... I need to resolve this and so I said to make the last second shot against Utah in game six and to make a putt to win the Ryder Cup what's the comparison <laughs> and for three and a half minutes he just went to a different level Great. he talked about <laughs> focus about being in the moment about having practice about he told me he was buddies with a lot of these guys and they were in his house it was just a brilliant and at the very end I said well it's been a lifelong ambition of yours to meet me Michael which you've done here today <laughs> and an ambition of mine to meet yours so from Timmy and Michael high fives and back to the studio for three days he hugged me and high fived me every time he passed nice <laughs> you wouldn't know who I am today which is fine but yeah. for those three days did you get to go out for dinner or no we didn't get for dinner I didn't get for a drink but no playing um, golf for like 10 grand a hole oh yeah I couldn't afford that <laughs> Dude, that's the biggest yeah. flex I've heard in a long time now high fives from Michael Jordan for three days in a row at the yeah. club it was actually and it was re- it, but it, it, it's a great lesson though as a, as a commentator or, a, or a, for anybody it doesn't always have to go right the first time it's how you recover you know and, just, and, you, and like you know this guy's like you're on your own like you, you have to fix it like otherwise you know yeah. it's, uh, they're going to take it out but um, his intensity when he spoke about that shot I mean you know they beat Utah in game 6 he stole the Utah were a point up the ball went into Carl Malone down in the low block he stole the ball from Malone and went down the court and held himself near the most, one of the most famous shots ever uh, to make the shot to win it uh, with 5 seconds to go and uh, when I asked him about it and he knew I knew him because that was the difference he yeah. knew that I knew him and I knew his focus and his intensity go and interview the tall basketballer yeah. no no I, you're somebody who's like okay I can communicate with you now yeah, yeah. and he was in my, like, we were in the same zone and from that point of view and um, and I did say to me you're obviously for the Americans no I, my friends I have Luke is my buddy he's with me all the time he, right. so he was very open about his relationship with a lot of the, the European players and that's it he obviously wanted the Americans to win 
Yeah, okay. So it, that's a nice segue to our last one, which is basketball as well. So this is Kobe in the 2008 Olympic final. So this is probably the best professional performance I've ever seen when the chips are really down. Okay? Um, this is going to come out in, in two weeks' time on Netflix, Netflix. There's a new program called The Redeem Team. Right. So this is about this actually cup final. Okay? It's not the reason I picked it. I picked it because when you look at it, the, the background to it, America had come in in 92, the Dream Team, and in 96 they won, and in 2000 they won. In the 2002 World Cup, America were beaten by three teams, okay? First time in their professional era, so they were really struggling. They lost in 2004 to Argentina, I get my first Olympic commentaries uh, game, to Argentina in the semifinals. So they were first time they were beaten at Olympic level since the professional era. Real big issue. And in 2006, Greece beat them in the World Cup. Okay, and in the 2016, they had LeBron James and Kamal Anthony and Dwayne Wade. So they they had powerhouses, even though they were young at that point in time. Kobe hadn't played for the USA, and in 2007, because they hadn't won the World Championships, they had to go and qualify in America and the Americas. So they qualified for the Olympics. That was Kobe's first event. He had won three NBA titles with the Lakers with Shaq O'Neal, but now he had just lost an NBA title. Without Shaq, right. to the Celtics. So the, the debate was at that time, like, was he reliant on having somebody like Shaq in the team? Could he carry a team on his own? Was he the real superstar that everybody was saying? Because the talk was he was the next Michael Jordan, or was, was he going to replace Michael Jordan? That was the big debate at that point. So he was coming into the Olympics um, with an American program that was struggling, even though they had brought in Mike Shevchesky as a coach and from Duke, and he made a big difference to them. Um, and they were playing Spain, who were world champions. So they beat Spain in the group. But two things were very interesting. And the Redeem team, I, I just saw some highlights of it. Actually, we'll highlight this. In his first practice session with the team, um, the first ball broke. He dived on the floor. Now, he's the biggest superstar on this team. And all of a sudden, he's going to set the tone. Like, I'm here to, for, for serious business. And in the group match, they played Spain. And Pau Gasol was now his teammate at the Lakers instead of Shaq O'Neal. And he said to his players, the first chance I get, I'm going to knock him over. And in the very first play, Gasol set a screen and he took him out. Right. Illegally, no. He just took him out illegally. But he sent the message like, you're not my teammate here. You're my brother with the Lakers, but I'm playing for the USA. So we get to the final and both the top two teams meet in the final. And it's a phenomenal game of basketball and it's nip and tuck. But the Americans are in trouble. In, in quarter four, the Spanish had brought it back to a one-point game without hitting a three-pointer for about eight minutes in a row. So they were dominating the game on the inside. The two Gasol brothers, seven to each, were dominating the game. And um, the Americans, LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Carmelo, they were kind of hiding, would be my view of it, okay? And Kobe took over the game. He just took over the game. He scored 13 points. When the game was on the line, he made a couple of assists to other people. And... That day, in my view, I said, this guy is almost as good as Michael Jordan. I believe Jordan's the best I've ever seen. But this guy is almost as good as Michael Jordan because he did it when it mattered. He did it for his country because if they had lost that Olympics chair, they would have been in real trouble because now they'd have lost four international tournaments in a row and it would have questioned the whole professional ethos that had been brought in in 92 from the, from the Americans. It's funny how... It's funny how the team matters more to them than we think it does, that it's not just like a box ticking for the sponsors that actually, because um, they, they're, they're all rich beyond their wildest dreams. So like they don't, they don't do it just for extra endorsements from brands who they might not be able to access. Otherwise, it has to mean something to them. Otherwise, it's going to be perfunctory and, and they're not going to put in performances like this. Well, Kobe said when he, when he was selected, he said that um, this is my country. 
we're playing, you know, this is not, you know, the Lakers or the Celtics or the Mavs or the Heat. Like, this is us playing for our country. And what Coach K did, he brought in um, Navy SEALs, he brought in Marines to talk to them about what it's like to be in battle for your country. So it was a real big thing. And obviously they were coming through after losing three major tournaments in a row, two World Cups and and the in Olympic Games. So it means more to them. And when, when you, like, I'm really looking forward to this Redeem Team Netflix um, program now because it'll go behind the fact that it, this was Redeem or really question mm. what the Americans were going to do with, with the professionals in, in, in the Olympics. So it was a phenomenal environment and they do really step up when they're playing for the country, you know? It kind of kick-started a period for the Lakers as well for a couple of years, ironically, with Pogus all alongside Kobe as well. Because they came back and won two NBAs then, and that's in t- uh, together for, uh, over the next number of years, and that's and so it really kickstarted. It elevated his his not his career because he had won it with Shaq, obviously, but it kickstarted his career where he now was was the man. As you said earlier, there was a question mark: who was the man when Shaq was there? In, in that sense, right? Okay. Um, Scotty Pippen has come out re- in the last number of years and said he was better than Jordan. So obviously. Had a few drinks too much that night when he decided <laughs> to say that, but like you know, but it, w- it was Jordan and the cast. Okay, in yeah. the Lakers it was Kobe and, and uh, Shaq. Then after the Olympics, it was Kobe was the main man mm. with the cast. So I think that's what you know. It, it changed the, my lens of Kobe. So it, it wasn't Kobe and Shaq; it was Kobe and the cast, which brought him to the level of Jordan in that sense. When did you start commentating? I started commentating in. Um, 1991 as um, my first time involved with RT as an analyst so I used to do the pre-game co- um, view the half-time view and then the um, post-game view and back then there was no recording so if you said something to start at half-time before the game you could say something different at half-time <laughs> <laughs> as I said earlier I absolutely predicted they were going to win but then the following year um, they asked me in addition to the analyst role would I become a core commentator to Jack Canning and um I did that then until 2004, and at the 2004 games, um, I was there a day before Jack Canning. For the, I was to do core commentary on the men's with Jack and core commentary with Sean O'Sullivan on the women's. And I was there the day before, and um, RT said, you know, can you go in and commentate on that game? Because um, there's a, we, we're, this program might finish early. Right. We need to fill. Okay? And I said, I've never commented it. Well, they said, look, it doesn't matter. Just nobody really, we probably won't see it, but so just go in. And um, it was a women's game, uh, which went to overtime. And I just commentated, as I commentate now. And uh, the director got a phone call and said, you should listen to this. Um, so they played it, actually, because they had to fill. And the next day they said, will, will, will you commentate? And Gerald Will went off to do volleyball, and Sean became the analyst. When you were doing the co-coms, were you the same as you are as a commentator? Were you doing downtown and boom shakalaka? No. No, I, I'd be, so, I would say as, as a... Um, an analyst, I was people. I remember Kieran Shan. You mentioned him earlier. Mentioned, referred to me as um, a Conor O'Shea or a Colm O'Rourke, very articulate, you know. But they're different roles. My, my job as an analyst is to be, give an expert view on what happens. Okay, why I believe my commentary um, works in, in my world is because I played at that level. I've coached at that mm. level. So I, the, the game is not in question for me anymore. My job as a commentator, I believe, is to inform and entertain. Well, I. I I think it's actually more important is your enthusiasm for it. Like, the, the love that you have that comes through. And whether or not you played at the high level, um, like, because they're two different skills in a way, you know? Yes. I, I, like, um, so as an analyst, were you kind of constantly uh, tamping down that part of you that wanted to be like, this is unbelievable, everybody? Oh, no, I, 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 would, still, I, I would still be very 
But a little, a little part of you, you weren't accessing a little part of you when. But you was, yeah, but I was, I, I was, uh, I was more clinical, I suppose, in, in the sense, and more, yeah, not more articulate because I believe I'm very articulate as a commentator. And so, uh, when the commentary started to happen, did you like suddenly realise that this is what I was supposed to be doing? Yes. Um, and, and what's then, that like? What's that experience? It's an amazing experience. And, and then I had an opportunity. I did a few GA games, and you know, because um, at that time RT were looking at you know maybe you know, use me in GA, um, and it, that really excited me. Um, I did Donegal and Antrim on the day. Antrim beat Donegal, right. so it became the prime um, game on Sunday game. I did Waterford and, and uh, Limerick in the Munster Hurling semi-final replay, and I loved that because I had a great passion for that as well. So I would love to have done more of that in that sense. Okay. Um, and uh, but I just like w- w- when I did a commentary, I felt much more excited at the end of it, and much more sort of oh my god, feeling whoa, I should do more of this. Like you know, it's just, I love the analyst role, but I really should do more, and I love the co-commentator role. But I really felt I was made to be a commentator. Yeah. In, 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 well, they're all they're all sense. totally different roles, really, aren't yes, they? Yeah, very different roles. Yeah. You mentioned Jimmy McGee earlier, like an Eddie Butler's name that's come up on, obviously on the show in the last number of weeks as someone who inspired a lot of um, a lot of people to, to tune into to matches. Were there commentators either then or now that that you look at in, in any different sports and say yeah that they added to the to the event, I guess. Well, Jimmy McGee was very helpful to me actually. You know, when I was starting, when I, you know, and Jerk Canning, both of them were actually very helpful to me. Um, I mean, because you know, when when, when the director said we want Tim Timmy to do the commentary, Jerry said absolutely, that's a great idea. And, and you know, he went. But Jimmy McGee said to me, um, "Remember, he says that you know, like you've got to be yourself." He says, "Don't try and be anybody else." One of the things that some people make a mistake, they try and imitate. He says, "Learn from other commentators." He says, in that sense, but but be yourself in that sense. So, Murray Walker was not a guy. I thought Murray Walker's enthusiasm, you know, like was just again infectious. And you know, even if you didn't really understand the game, he kept you at the game in that sense. And um, so, they'd be the two that would, you know, that, that would sort of stand out for me in that sense. Mm. But that makes sense. I think um, that that definitely comes across. Like if if there was a basketball game on in the Olympics and it was two teams who you didn't have that much interest or knowledge about, and you were doing the commentary, people were stopping to watch. That was that was true. Everybody was like, "We're going to watch this." Timmy's on commentary, <laughs> and and that's very that's very humbling because you know it is because people are watching it who who don't understand the game. No, totally. Is, yeah, you know, and it's. And I've always believed, you know, you, you must be enthusiastic for what you're, you're about. You must have a passion for it in, in that sense. And, you know, like what gives me an advantage is the fact that I played and coached at level, Joe, is I just know the game a little bit from, the, from their perspective. It just gives me a different perspective. I still have to commentate on what I see, but I understand what a player is experiencing or a coach is trying to you know, consider it in, in the context of it. But, you know, I just love commentating and, you know, this, and, and hopefully there's many more things I can get my hands into. 100%. Timmy, always great to spend time in your company. Thanks a million. That was a, a great episode of You Had to Be There. Our Twitter poll is uh, in favour of uh, Stephen Kenny, 65% in favour of keeping him. It's live on our Twitter page, at Off the Ball. We'll keep it open until tonight's show as well. And a reminder, we're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Tomorrow, Keith Woods, uh, Jess McFadden, talking about Singapore, which apparently is a good one, uh, Shane. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll also look back at the time that Limerick played Real Madrid in Dublin in the uh, well, September 1980. Um, so, again, a trip down memory lane from uh, the League of Ireland vaults. Right now, we're going to leave you with Louds, Mount Rushmore. We'll see you tomorrow. Good luck. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.